Do you, Chris, take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? Do you promise to barrage her with obscure facts concerning comics, movies, TV shows, and toys? I do. And Cindy, do you take this man-child to be your lawfully wedded husband? Do you promise to humor him by engaging him in his obsessive ramblings, for better or worse, in pre-crisis or in post? Sure, why not? Then by the power invested in me by the High Father of the Fourth World, I now pronounce you Supermates. You may podcast with the bride. Hello and welcome to episode 78 of Supermates, Husband and Wife Geekcast. I'm Chris. I'm Cindy. And today is our Feedback Palooza episode. We have been promising this for a long time because basically I haven't made enough time to do feedback. Uh, and we just got done with House of Frankenstein, of course. You know, it's been burned to the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure it'll come back next year. But right now it's just smoldering ash out in the back of our property. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the villagers came, burned it down. So... Uh, but, you know, it'll probably, you know, pop back up in September again, you know. Yeah, al- yeah. Always does. But uh, as we promised, uh, uh, the uh, later part of this episode will be feedback. Uh, but we thought we'd just uh, have a little uh, laid-back chit-chat about some things that uh, we've watched recently, mostly being Thor Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. Uh, we watched that this weekend. It came out this past weekend as we record this. And we went and saw it. We actually went out. For Andrew's birthday. birthday. Yeah, our son, oh my God, is 16. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This is not right. And if you've been listening to this show for a while, Andrew was on more frequently in the early days. You know, right. He's gotten right. older and I didn't have time to, you know, be on Mom and Dad's podcast uh, that often. But, yeah, um, he's too busy with his girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, but uh, yeah, so he turned 16. But yeah, we went to, uh, we went and saw Thor Ragnarok. And uh, I thought we'd do a little spoiler-free discussion first, mm. and then we'll give a little spoiler warning, and I'll and I'll do what Ryan does in the show notes. I'll put the time that we start talking spoilers. So non-spoiler, non-spoiler general discussion. What did you think of the movie? I mean, it was fun. It it it, it was a fun movie. It was a good movie to see, but it might have been too fun. But because I, I think. In other previous Marvel movies, you have been able... They have made um, political statements mm-hmm. in their movies. And with this one, it was completely devoid of that. Mm. So, Or, well, basically devoid of it, I would say. Well, I mean... I, I don't really care about the lack of a, like a political statement. Because, I mean, we watched... The episode of The Flash last night was horrible. Oh my gosh! I mean, and and I don't disagree with what they were pushing because no. they were pushing feminism, and I'm all for feminism. But it was the bachelor bachelorette party episode. For yeah, yeah. Context. Yeah, it was like the probably the worst episode of that series yet. Yes. And this yes. season so far has been an improvement over last season. Mm-hmm. But that was horrible. Mm-hmm. They literally said hashtag feminism like yes. three times. Literally said that. <laughs> The, the they had the female character say that that was horrible. I, I mean, it was just, and that's not the only reason it was horrible. It was just so ham fisted and so bad. And I mean, Barry you even. I mean, I'm flash. a man, but you thought it was horrible. Oh, I'm just like, oh, honey, come on. <laughs> and Barry was never the Flash. No, but remember, Iris, him and Iris are the Flash. She said, we're the Flash in an earlier episode Oh, horse crap. <laughs> honey, if you ain't out there running at the speed of light, you ain't the Flash. No. You know, 
Joe I'm ain't like, the Flash, Cisco ain't the Flash, and you ain't the Flash either. I'm married to you. That does not make me a graphic designer. Right. <laughs> You're married to me. That does not make you a librarian. That's right. <laughs> but anyway, back to Thor. Yes, sorry. Back to Thor. Uh, sorry. We digress. This is going to be very rambly. So, oh, yeah. Because I don't have any notes, and we're just talking. So, so just uh, deal with it and don't d- write in about it, because, you know, I ain't going to listen to that crap. I'm doing what I want to. <laughs> 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 well, this is definitely not scripted. So if you don't yeah. like stuff when it's scripted, then this isn't scripted. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, the thing, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed Thor Ragnarok. I did, I did. It was a lot of fun. It was just as fun as it seemed in the trailers. Mm-hmm. The only problem is, and I'm not going to get into spoilers. We'll get into those later. There are some very... I don't want to use the word heavy because it makes it sound like it's dour and it's, oh my God. But there were very life-changing events yes. that happened to the characters, the Thor characters in this film. Mm-hmm. And I felt a lot of that was breezed over to get back to the jokes. Yeah. To get back to the one-liners, get back to the snappy mm-hmm. fun, you know. Yeah. Um, that's my only complaint about it. Uh, once we got into about the middle of it, I was rolling along with mm-hmm. it. Or about, like, you know, after the first half hour. So, you know, three-fourths of the way in, I was, you know, I was like, oh, this is pretty good. Yeah. You know, and and uh, and I was in, I was invested, and I was used to the tone. And I said, you know, when we come out, it reminded me quite a bit of Flash Gordon. The 1980, yeah, I remember you saying that now. The yeah. 1980 Flash Gordon, because it had that, uh, it didn't have that, the retro feel that, that Flash Gordon had tried to have with the ships and all that stuff, but it had that very... You know, it kind of had that rock opera kind of feel about mm-hmm. it. It was the lot. The music was by Mark Mothersbaugh from Devo, mm-hmm. who's done a lot of kids, uh, like a lot of the shows that our kids have watched growing up, like Rugrats and right. Yo Gabba Gabba and things mm-hmm. like that. And it's got that very, you know, eighty synth laser kind of sound to it. That was cool, and it just made me think of some of like the incidental music in Flash Gordon that wasn't Queen. I can't think of the composer. Somebody screaming at the. At their, uh, you know, zonophone as as they always say, but uh, but uh, uh, but yeah, it, that's what it kind of reminded me of, and just the just the feel of it, the being. It wasn't like campy. I mean, it's still. I, I do think that. I think that uh, I do feel like Hemsworth has really like grown into the role. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I like them in the other ones, but this time you really feel like he's he's owning the character of Thor. Because the character of Thor is owning who he is. Right. He's like grown into being Thor. Mm-hmm. And so Hemsworth feels like he's grown more into the character of Thor. Mm-hmm. Not that I didn't like him in the other two, but he seemed just more Thor like despite all the goofiness going around him. Right. You know, and, and I like that. And I liked I thought uh uh Kate Blanchett was just freaking awesome as Hella. She was oh, like one yeah. of the best Marvel villains mm-hmm. and she looked really good in that, in that get up. I mean there's and I'm not saying she's an attractive woman but she's never really done anything personally for me. Mm-hmm. I think she's kind of hot as Hella. I just I don't know what it is. Ow. Chris, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just brute. Hers a brunette. That does, I don't know. Maybe it's because she kicks kicks ass cuz you're used to that. <laughs> yeah, she's think? yeah, I just got punched in the arm. Maybe that's what it is, but but, you know, I thought, you know, I thought it was funny you didn't realize that uh, um, uh, Scourge, the executioner, was uh, Carl, uh, was uh, Carl Urban. I know. I, know, I yeah. didn't, I, until you told me, I guess because, you know, he didn't have the, the hair, yeah. you know, going, and he was all, you know, beefy, yeah. and I'm like, what, what? He was all super pumped. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I, yeah. I, 
I thought they, he was kind of he was that was an interesting character arc for him, and I know that's from the I think from the Walt Simonson run in the comics, right. pretty much the same thing. Uh, so I thought I thought he was good in that, and uh, you know I liked I liked all the new characters. Of course, the Hulk Thor battle was I mean they did it upright. I mean it wasn't like we saw all the scenes in the trailer. No, it was a full on. You're getting what you're paid for. If you want to see Thor and Hulk beat the crud out of one another, it's a pretty long segment. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's, it's not just, you know, no, done just in two, a couple seconds. No, it's two punches it's, and it's over. It's it's really good. Yeah. It's really well done. Jeff Goldblum was his usual quirky, he's barely acting self yeah. as the Grandmaster. Yeah. It's just so weird. It was funny when we were walking out. I told Danny, we had watched uh, over Halloween, the weekend before Halloween, we watched a bunch of old... Halloween specials that I found on YouTube. Yeah, I think I had to work or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, you were working, doing something for the library. And they showed, um, one of them that we found was uh, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, the TV movie version mm-hmm. from 1980, I think, that starred Jeff Goldblum <laughs> as Ichabod Crane. And I told Danny as we were walking out, I said, the Grandmaster was the guy that played Ichabod in that movie we watched the other day. And she just, she got that look that Danny gets on her face where her mouth just drops and she looks incredulous and she said... He said, man, he sure looked better back then. <laughs> I said, well, honey, that's been almost 40 years ago, you know. But but, uh, but anyway, so I thought that was funny. But, yeah, you know, and I mean, uh, you know, I thought the character of Valkyrie, that was a cool addition, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. She was a nice, you know, kick-butt uh, type of character. And, you know, she, she uh, yeah, asserted herself very nicely. And, and of course, Loki was, as uh, Tom Hiddleston was great as Loki as always, and there's plenty of Loki in there because I know the ladies like the Loki. See, I don't get it. <laughs> I, I can't help it, but I I like more of a... He's too scrawny. I think he's buffer than you think he is, but just compared to Hemsworth. Yeah. When you're standing next to that guy, anybody's going to look, you know... Well, I mean, you got to think... I mean, I, even CGI'd yeah. up, you know, motion-captured Hulk, kind of... He, he looks big, but next to Thor, he don't look as big. Because, you know, he's real. You know? Yeah. So. But, I mean, I like Ruffalo and... You know, yeah, and Mark great. Ruffalo was great. Yeah. As, I love him as I Banner. Just, I'm just not a fan of that. You know, I, I found out you were a fan of Idris Elba. I didn't know that until we were... Yeah. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> I mean, come on. He's pretty. He's a good looking man. I, I like him a lot. Yeah. I like him a lot. And he was in this quite a and bit. And I want to go see The Mountain Between Us. Come on, do a chick flick for me. Uh, well, honey, if we find time, I'll go. I ain't got no opposition to it the last movie you took me to that i wasn't sure about was baby driver which was awesome I told you so um yeah so i mean i'm not opposed to it so well do you want to get into the spoilery territory now sure, so sure. general so uh you know again this isn't going to be like a full-blown this isn't like film and water we're not oh gonna, no 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 we're just we're just having a general discussion here so uh spoiler warning if you don't want to uh hear spoilers about the movie uh, skip ahead. Skip ahead. Look at the show notes on firewaterpodcast.com and see where I say the spoilers end and then jump back in there because we're going to spoil the hell out of this movie. Mm. Okay. Spoilers on. Don't listen anymore if you don't want to hear. Uh, holy shit. They killed everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, everybody. I mean, this was like Transformers the movie, the animated one. I mean, it's like, you know, Megatron gets on the ship and starts blowing away Prowl and Ironhide and Braun and all those guys. I mean, it was like, okay, Fandral's dead. Uh, Volstag's dead. Holy shit. 
Houngen puts up a fight and then he's dead. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, holy hell, they just killed all the Warriors 3. They killed the Warriors 3 and Hela killed all the... The, the Warriors. The Warriors of the, Asgard. Yeah, all that was left were like the people, the like regular citizens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got, you know, your but Warriors. But she killed the Warriors 3. <laughs> and just like that, pretty and much. I, Zachary Levi's, good thing he's going to be Captain... Oh, Shazam, sorry, not Captain Marvel. Thanks, Marvel. He's going to be Shazam, because, uh, which I actually think is pretty good casting. But uh, because he ain't, can't be Fandral anymore unless they bring him back with the Infinity Gauntlet or something. Right, right. And I mean, <laughs> luckily, luckily, Lady Sith was off planet, thank God. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, the only reason was apparently Jamie Alexander's TV schedule couldn't sync up. And Kevin Feige said that that Sif was on a mission somewhere. Yeah. So she ain't going to have Asgard to come back to because uh, Asgard's destroyed. Yeah. Thor they loses. blew it up. Thor, okay, let's see all the crazy stuff that happens in this movie. Okay, the Warriors 3 get killed. Mm-hmm. The ha- Well, first the hammer, Mjolnir, is destroyed. By his sister, which you're like, what? Yeah, well, if you read the comic books, you knew, and I forgot that. Although, in actual... Uh, uh, Norse mythology. I believe that she's Loki's daughter, but Stan screwed up, or Stan, Stan and Jack screwed up, and and or Jack, because Jack might have done it, and Stan just scripted it, but uh, and said that Hela was uh, their sister, mm. uh, but really she's supposed to be Loki. I think actually her and the big giant wolf are supposed to be Loki's kids, because you know, you know, mythology. Mm. And, uh, and, but, you know, in, in the in the Marvel Universe, at first they weren't, and then they retconned it to actual mythology, but now the movies are taken from the original Marvel Gotcha, comics. gotcha. So they're, they're, that's their half-sister yeah. or whatever. So, uh, you know, well, Odin dies. Yeah. The hammer's destroyed. The Warriors 3 all die. Mm-hmm. Uh, Asgard gets blown up. Asgard gets blown up. Thor loses an eye. Yeah. He gets all his lightning powers. And so there's so much eventful stuff that happens in this movie, but then it's got this jokey, goofy vibe about it. That's the that's the part that just kind of disconnects. Everything's too epic to be this flipping about it, in a way. Yeah. You know, it's like Guardians of the Galaxy 2, and I know some people don't like that movie as well. I really did. I like it on... I don't know if, which one I like better, honestly. Mm-hmm. I think I like Guardians 2. Well, and I like Guardians 2 because of the Yondu story arc. Exactly. You know? And it, the movie had just as much goofy stuff going on in it as the first movie did. But when Yondu died, I mean, it just, like, in his funeral, like, ripped your heart out. And I, just, I mean... I, I've gotten I'm, teary-eyed, like, three times now watching it. I know. This. <laughs> and, I mean, I am not, not a crier. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, like... Yeah, you know, I just don't, and I was just like tear, you know. And I think so. I think um, I think James Gunn uh, did a better job of balancing the humor and the drama mm-hmm. and the the pathos of what's going on than uh, I'm going to say the guy's name, uh, Watiki, that was the director of this. I don't want to say his name wrong, so I don't even want to try to pronounce it because I'll, I'll murder it. Uh, the movie's great looking, but I think he. I think James Gunn did a better job of balancing those out. To hear there was way too much heavy, heavy, holy shit. Oh, and yeah, and Thor and Jane broke up 
Yeah, well, that, yeah, I know, but yeah. I mean, it was so that that, that was relationship was so integral. Yeah, that was to the, the core of the two. other two movies. Yeah, and it's just like, oh well, we broke up. Yeah, I know I, I broke up with her. You yeah, know, it was that, just, and it was that was kind of you know that was kind of um, you know. I mean, I know it's because, because Natalie Portman wouldn't come back. Right, I know that, yeah. but still, it was just meh, you know. Yeah, and apparently. Um, uh, Anthony Hopkins wasn't going to come back, but then he read the script and decided to come back. Which uh, the stuff with Odin was handled really well, mm-hmm. and it was more serious and stuff. But and you know, and there were moments that it was. I mean, and don't get me wrong, I did enjoy the movie. I'd like to go see it again. It's mm-hmm. playing down here at a local theater. We saw it in the big, the big city of Lexington. Quote: I'm doing air quotes. Biggest <laughs> city we got around here. Uh, we saw it there at the big, nice theater with the pushy, cushy seats that go back the recliners, recliner yeah. seats, and all that stuff. So we saw it there first, but we probably will go see it down here mm-hmm. again. And I want to see it again, and uh, it's a lot of fun, but that's my only... that It's just there's so much, like, huge epic stuff going on, and they don't give you enough time to breathe. And if they, if they gave you a couple of seconds to breathe and soak up, oh, my God, that just happened, mm-hmm. and then moved on to the funny, then it... it I, there wasn't enough break in between, you know, enough pause between the super dire consequences of what was going on, the events that were happening, mm-hmm. and then the next joke. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's that's my complaint about it. And I've heard other people have said that. I mean, it's obviously done really well. It's done far beyond their expectations. It made like $121 million in its first weekend. Mm-hmm. So I think it was only supposed to, like, they estimated like around $100 million, So it's like, it you know, it's done really well. So... Um, I, you know, I would still recommend anybody that's any fan of the MCU movies, go see it. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, it's great. There's some great performances. There's some, uh, you know, there's some, there's some fun. Uh, I mean, if you're, I mean, you know, as this being Jack Kirby, we talked about this in the, in the Kirby special that we did on the network. The FW presents how much this movie looked like Jack Kirby, like had actually designed the movie. Yeah. And it does. I mean, the guards, on Sakaar, uh-huh. I mean, they're all in like Jack Kirby armor, uh-huh. and all the decorations and stuff are super Jack. I mean, it's awesome. It's fantastic that it's there's so much Jack Kirby in it, and uh, I mean that alone is enough to just it's a visual feast. It looks great, you know. So, but um, yeah, go you know go see that, and uh, you know by the time this episode drops, I think this episode is supposed to drop on the sixteenth. Uh-huh. Next day, Justice League comes out, or actually that night, you know. Yeah. So, um, so you know, Justice League will be out. I don't know what to make of Justice League. I just don't. I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, this ought to tell you something. I always write down in my calendar. I'm a big calendar person. You know, everything goes in my calendar. I wrote down when Thor came out. Wonder is based on a juvenile book. I highly suggest if you have a heart, if I'm sure you've seen the trailers, go see it. The book is awesome. If you can read that book and not cry, you know, you have a heart of stone. Yeah. I mean, you know. <laughs> but anyway, I have that and I'm going to go see that movie before I go see Justice League. Yeah, probably what ended up happening is you and <coughs> you and Danny will go see Wonder, Wonder. and me and Andrew will go see Justice League. Yeah. Because um, you know, I and after BVS, 
And, you know, which I, we stupidly, and we did, we stupidly, we stupidly. Took, took Danny to see BVS in the theater, and I totally regret that. Absolutely. Because especially when the stupid giant man bat looking thing come out of the... Oh, she slept with us for like a week. The Wayne's Crypt, that was so stupid and such bad parenting on our part. But, yes, it was. Uh, you know, and, and people's mileage vary, and some of you might be like, oh, I'll let my kid watch stuff like that all the time. Well, we don't. So, you know, is it? and that was too much. And I mean, for, we let her watch the Marvel movies, but there's very rarely anything in those that yeah. that's going to do that to her so and just you know i mean just the tone of it's so dark and just oh, uh, yeah so i don't think justice league is gonna i mean i think justice league is gonna be an improvement over bvs in the tone in the kind of movie we want to see i think even before Zack snyder had to leave the project which i'm sorry for the reason he had to leave the project right um i think that the tone was going to change some i think joss whedon coming coming in changed it more and there were elaborate reshoots, basically. But what I'm wondering is what kind of a schizophrenic mess could it possibly be? I know. You know, is it going to work? Is it going to be one of those cases when you're watching it that you don't see the cracks, that you don't see, like, Superman 2? If you don't know all the backstory about Richard Donner and Richard Lester, that Richard Donner, you know, already filmed, like, over half of it, and then Richard Lester came in and, you know, filmed more of it and then some of that again because the you know then then it doesn't it doesn't jump out at you unless you've watched it a hundred million times like I have. Right. And right, you know right, the right. backstory. So it works. It works as a movie. It, it's co- co- cohesive somehow. Is this gonna do that or is it gonna be a mess? You know, I don't I don't know. I mean I think it I think it's gonna be more of what we want in some ways. I mean yes you can question like the way they went with Aquaman, you know, going deep and all that stuff. But but <laughs> But uh, that's for Sorry, Luke. Sorry, Luke. That's for Luke, that's for Luke <laughs> Dog. Uh, but um, and Rob. Uh, but um, sorry, Rob. Yeah, sorry, Rob. But uh, I just don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm gonna go see it. I basically, it's kind of like you know, I'm just I'm gonna try to be as completely open minded as I can, and hope for the best and kind of expect the worst. That's just kind of the way I'm going to be. I'll be honest. I well, mean, if we give you guys the okay, you know, then you know. I know, I know, but I'm saying. It's not in my calendar. Right. It, Even I mean, though Wonder not. Woman's in it and you love Gal Gadot as exactly. Wonder Woman. Exactly. And you, I mean... You're I, like, you can wait to see it. You know, yeah. you just... I mean, that, that right there tells you even she can't save it completely for you. I mean... Yeah. So, I mean... But... I uh, just... Mate, I don't know. I just... Uh, yeah. Well... <laughs> yeah. We'll, uh, we'll just we'll just have to see. So... Um, but go see Wonder yeah, well, yeah, I go see Wonder, and uh, you know, with Owen Wilson, Julia Roberts. I yeah, mean, yeah, so yeah, it has a great cast. I mean, and I mean, I know I'm talking about just movies in general, but it's Wonder. Um, it's with, you know, it's it's just a great movie about a little boy that has. Well, you think it's facial, a great movie? It was a great book. Well, it was a great book. <laughs> it's about a little boy with facial deformities going to school for the first time in fifth grade and what he faces. And now, why did he have? Um, I know. I think you told me this. I know he's had to have plastic surgery, mm-hmm. but he, but multiple. He, but but yeah, he you know his you know, and different his, other things like you know for so he can hear, so he can do this, so he can do that. You know. He's so had, what was he born? Was he born with something? Mm-hmm. Some like a, a degenerative yeah. thing. Okay. Yeah, okay. and I, I couldn't remember if he was born with something or he was in some kind of accident. Or something. No, no, it it's. Uh, so in some ways, it's a little bit like uh, Mask, like 
with, with yeah, Cher, yeah. that type of thing. But, you know, he, he starts school. But he's a younger kid. Mm-hmm. He's not a teenager. But if you've seen it, it's called Choose Kind. You know, if you have the choice between being kind or being right, choose to be kind. Right. Yeah. So. So, yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of good, I mean, obviously Star Wars, uh, Last Jedi is coming out in about a month from the time this drops. Uh, so that's huge. Uh, lots of lots of movies coming out, you know. And then of course we got Black Panther. Uh, then we've got uh, Infinity War in May, which holy crap, you know. And why or why just release something Disney so the rest of us can see it, not on a shaky cam that somebody leaked out of D twenty three. For Pete's sake, why wasn't there a trailer in front of Thor? Yeah, you know? I, I kept kind of wanting. They're probably going to put it in front of Last Jedi or in front of Coco. Yeah, in front of Coco. Yeah, yeah that's true. Coco's coming out too. So some Disney movie. So, but anyway. So, well, uh, I think that's about all we got to say about Thor Ragnarok and other things. Uh, so we'll take a quick break, uh, run some promos for other shows here on the network and other shows. And when we come back, we'll dive into the giant pile of feedback. It's like raking leaves outside and raking the biggest pile of leaves and <laughs> jumping, which we're not complaining. We're glad you wrote in, and we're glad oh, to have your feedback. Yes. And we want more, so please respond. I know we don't have a whole lot. What did you, before I even get there, what did you think of Thor Ragnarok? What do you, if you've seen it and listened to the whole thing, do you agree, disagree with what we said? How do you feel about the tone of the movie uh, compared to what happened in the movie? You know, uh, if you haven't seen it yet, or do you still want to see it? You know, what, you know. And just let us know. And uh, But anyway, promo break, feedback when we get back. You've heard the myths and sagas. You've read the comics. You've seen the films. Now you can experience the adventures of Thor, Hercules, and more in a completely new way. Ere the battle be resolved, let the Thunder God prevail. Thor will crumble under my power, the power of Loki. I am the will and the way. I am all father, and none shall say me nay. Donald Blake, have you forgotten that we have a dinner date tonight? Join me, Tom Harris, almost every Thursday for Radio Free Asgard. Every episode, we take a look at a new chapter in the lives of your favorite mythological heroes. From the Iron Age of Europe, through the Bronze Age of comics, the Marvel movies, and beyond. All that, and silly voices, too. Come join us at RadioFreeAsgard.com. Welcome to the world of tomorrow! (laughs) The Legion of Superheroes through the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, the Baxter series... Five years later, the reboot, the three-boot, the retro-boot, the animated series. We have banded together as the Legion of Super Bloggers to cover it all. Seek us out at legionofsuperbloggers.blogspot.com. always have to say it that way. Haven't you ever heard of a little thing called showmanship? Hey there, I'm Nathaniel with some exciting news about the Punch Like a Girl podcast. <laughs> oh, hey, hey Liz, I'm, I'm just doing the promo. Tell the people about how the podcast we do together covering graphic novels and trade collections starring female protagonists is moving to, and um, actually I'm, I'm mansplaining again, aren't I? Uh-huh. 
I, I can just, um, here, here you go. Punch Like a Girl is joining the Fire and Water Network and as of October will be found on the network feed and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Is it okay if I just invite folks to join us in celebrating the girls who kick butt? I think you already did. Yes! Nailed it! Don't worry, folks. I'll keep them in line. Okay, we're back, and as promised, we're going to dive into feedback. This is covering episode 70, which was our JL May uh, crossover segment where we covered Justice Number 2. Uh, you know, JL May was back in May. A lot of podcast uh-huh. buddies of ours covered the Justice miniseries. We covered issue number two. And it goes all the way up to episode 77, which was the last ha- House of Franklin's time for this year. So, uh, without further ado, um, uh, our first, uh, most of these um, are going to come from firewaterpodcast.com, the comment section. Some will come from email and uh, supermatespodcast at gmail.com. And some will come from Facebook and Twitter. So, mostly, though, from the website, from firewaterpodcast.com. So, our first uh, response was from Paul Hicks uh, from Waiting for Doom, who actually was one of the architects of J.L. May. And uh, we had said something about, uh, you know, him famously punching a koala. And Paul wrote, hey, rest assured, you don't have to ever tell me to punch a koala. Those koalas don't punch themselves. So, there you go. Rob Kelly writes in, Check out Cindy's sultry voice. <laughs> Chris, don't be in any hurry to spend more time on Twitter. It's a wretched hive of scum and villainy. Log in, tweet out, show post, log out. That's exactly what I do. That's all I use Twitter for, and that's all I plan on using it for. So there you go. Good advice. Uh, Ryan Daly said in response to us talking about how Brainiac looked like Grant Morrison in Justice, thanks to Alex Ross's design, uh, Ryan says... Grant Morrison just looks like a supervillain. Ross used his likeness for Brainiac in this, and Darwin Cook based Captain Cold off of Morrison in The New Frontier. If I didn't already love you, Chris, I would have fallen all over again because you referenced the Pimp of the Year awards from I'm Gonna Get You Sucka, which turned into a conversation about I'm Gonna Get You Sucka, and eventually there will be a Film and Water podcast episode hosted by Rob, of course, with me and Ryan as guests, where we will discuss I'm Gonna Get You Sucka. <laughs> We're all going to suffer from overgold. That's all I got to say. <laughs> I'm just sitting here, over here sh- shaking my head. Oh, my. Okay. Chuck Coletta writes in, Very fun and informative discussion. FYI, to hear Alex Ross's take on the state of superheroes today and the DC TV and movies, be sure to check out the recent Word Balloon podcast. It's a great hour-long interview. Also, an official Alex Ross YouTube site launches very soon. Any word why he hates Firestorm? I think he's only drawn him the one time for that huge crisis poster he did with George Perez. I think Alex Ross was uh, tormented as a child by a flamenco dancer. I, that's the only reason I can figure why he doesn't like Firestorm. Oh, it's those dude. puppy sleeves. I don't know. Dude, Shaq's going to get you. <laughs> I don't know why. I haven't checked out his YouTube channel. I'll have to check that out and see if it's... Surely by now it's launched since that was back in May. <laughs> Ward Hill Terry wrote in, Now, while I admire Ross's art greatly, sometimes I find little things annoy me. Maybe the heroes are too thin-lipped and closed-mouthed for my taste. Maybe I would prefer Brainiac to have less human-looking skin. Why would a computer android robot have wrinkles? But I have finally put a finger on why his Batman bugs me. 
the eyes. Yes, I accept that Ross dispenses with the blank eyes convention of Batman's mask. However, a close examination of the pics that you and Rob, Rob and Shag, I thought he was Rob and Shag had become one person there for a minute. Uh, well, you know. <laughs> close examination of the pics that you and Rob and Shag posted. Get to the gist of it. Ross illustrates Batman's mask as including his eyelids. There is no distinct eye hole in the cow. His eyelashes stick out. That's weird, man. <laughs> yeah, and it, it kind of is. And I think the sculptor, there's a famous sculptor named Mike Hill who has done sculptures of at least Ross's Superman and Batman. And he's had like, basically they're like wax heads and he's had wax figures or they've been put on a mannequin or something and he, they've got the full costumes on and they're in his mythology book. And yeah, but you can see the eyelashes sticking out of Batman. It is kind of weird. It's like, it's it's almost like, you know, I think I, I think I mentioned it in the comment uh, that Batman like sprays, Alfred sprays Batman's face every night like a truck bed liner or something. Mm. I don't know. It's like spray on cow. I don't know. It, it is it is kind of odd, you know. It's I don't know. It is it is pretty strange, but so. Edwin Latour writes in. I listened to you read Riff's comment about the upcoming DC movies and giving these movies money so they'll keep making them and hope they get a course correction. I have to vehemently disagree. Continuing to give these movies money tells the people in charge that they're doing the right thing, which means they'll continue to do this because the fans will keep shelling out money to go see these movies regardless of quality. The only way I can see that we'll get the message across is to take money away from them. When they realize how much this direction will cost them, maybe change will occur. Continuing to go see these four things is just rewarding bad behavior, like giving a tantrum tantruming child what they want. I've only recently discovered your podcast thanks to the previous JL May, and only within the past few months have marathon the backlog. Your dynamic is wonderful enough to make me envious of your shared love of the medium as regards in my own marriage. Keep up the good work. Well, you know, I and I and I agree a lot with his his point. Um, you know, that's and I mean, you know, with BVS, I didn't I didn't go see it again. I saw it the first time, didn't see it again, and and uh, you know, and then then like you know, we talked about Justice League earlier. I think there's enough seeming course correction for me to feel more positive about it just you know no matter what i don't know I how i'm paying to see it in the theater until until i tell you otherwise mm-hmm. okay well i me and andrew like I said me and andrew will go like we said I, well i'm just i'm just telling you my personal opinion yeah I well mean, and, you know, and, and you know and i and i think in the comments again in the comments section i i actually respond to comments a lot on mm-hmm. the board uh more so than the other guys uh no <laughs> oh that's my excuse for not doing feedback for seven months. Oh, okay. <laughs> or however long it's been. But it ain't been quite seven months. Uh, but that's my excuse. Uh, but um, but but anyway, um, I think in the comments I said that, you know, uh, that's one reason why I didn't pick up the free comic book day Captain America Secret Empire Mm-mm. thing. Because so, I was just like, you can't even give me that for free. And I know, guys, it was just a story. But it was a story that was, in in my opinion, it really wasn't. People say, well, it wasn't in poor taste. It was a story because Stan and Jack did kind of the same thing. No, they they didn't drag it out for a year, and they didn't really try to make you think that that was all the real history and all that stuff. 
it was a clever idea that should have been an Elseworlds or just a couple issue story, mm-hmm. not a whole year. And there's a reason why the new Captain America issue that just came out by Mark Wade and Chris Samney is excellent and gets back to the core of Captain America. And I freaking loved it. Go out and buy it. It's classic Captain America. He's even in the classic unadulterated suit. He doesn't have straps, pouches. And not that I don't love the movie suit. I do. But he does. he's in the classic suit. And his his even his outfit doesn't look. He's got like roofing shingles instead of you know for his scale mail. Mm. It's it's a it's a fan. But the story's fantastic. I mean, it's Mark Wade. Go buy it. But anyway, but yeah, I understand. Wait, you need to get that in your pool file. Yeah, I figure if we go tomorrow, I'll tell him. Uh, but yeah, so I understand not supporting. If you don't like it, uh, don't support it. I completely, I you know, I can completely get behind that. I agree with him. Sorry. Okay, that's. Well, I kind of do, too. Uh, Brian Linton wrote in, On a somewhat related note, I had the good fortune to visit the Norman Rockwell Museum in Stockbridge, MA, during our spring break vacation. In addition to the great Rockwell art, the museum, unbeknownst to me, was also hosting an exhibit of Hanna-Barbera Saturday morning cartoon artwork. Oh! I was excited to see some original Alex Toth concept art for Challenge of the Super Friends. Thanks to the Fire and Water Network, I actually knew who he was. It was particularly interesting to see some potential members of the Legion of Doom who made who never made it into the final series, like Heat Wave and Poison Ivy. Ah, what might have been. Dude, that is awesome. That is. And I mean, you know, I think we've discussed, I think we discussed on our first episode of Saturday Morning Fever how the Legion of Doom at one point was going to be Dr. Savannah and, uh, you know, Catwoman, Joker, Penguin, and, you know, the, there was rights issues. And, right, get and it all Captain Marvel out. was going to join the Super Friends. It just never happened, so... Max Romero writes in, man, I would kill for a Plastic Man credit card. I think that'd be pretty cool, too. Yeah. And speaking of which, you know, of course, Max would write in and say that because he does It's Plastic Man on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. And, of course, Rob and Ryan are on the network, too, which I didn't mention. But it's kind of, you know, at this point, it's kind of a foregone conclusion that they're here. But uh, we got an email from Sean Strawbridge. And and Sean has written uh, several emails to the show uh, for quite a while. And I always enjoy getting his emails and me and him correspond back and forth uh, when I should be working. Uh, so, but oh, so, <laughs> so Sean writes in. So it's almost like your podcasters planned this. I literally just bought the trade paperback edition of Justice two weeks ago, not really remembering that it was the subject of the JL May crossover. I had somehow never read this story but was lured into ordering it through my shop because, well, Alex Ross. I have a serious addiction to his work and I tend to buy everything he does. Sometimes multiple times over, Kingdom Come. I have just started reading it, and after listening to episode 70, I think I will read along with the crossover as it progresses. It's the first time I've done that, but the timing just seemed eerie, and thus it was probably meant to be. Or, more likely, the thought to order justice was implanted into my mind by a certain group of devious podcasters through the lost art of 1980s-style backward messages in the podcast episodes I listened to. (laughs) (laughs) If you play this episode backwards, it's Shag going, she's hot, she's hot, she's hot, over and over again. (laughs) Okay, so that's it for episode 70. Now for episode 71, Wonder Woman toys. Ha ha, my wheelhouse. Yep. David Ace Gutierrez writes in, that is quite a collection. When did you say you'd be out of the house for a couple of hours? (laughs) No, David. We don't really have Gal Gadot here, dude, so just, you know. You know, I know she's Mrs. The Future Mrs. Gutierrez, but, you know, she's not here right now, so. Yeah. Yeah. 
We got a comment from Vera Wild. Officially jealous. Wish I could compare notes, but but my quote-unquote collectibles are random smatterings of things. Hey, look, a Corinthian bust from Sandman. Almost all the female figures from Disney Infinity. And um, is that Spawn with wings? And never focused enough to be worth showing off. That's okay. I've still got my Wonder Woman cosplay to fall back on. Well, there you go. So, uh, you know, you got a Disney Infinity figure. Didn't you get a Maleficent the other day at a uh-huh. half-price books? Yeah, I did. Yeah. We've, I, I mean, we've, that up. We've got quite a few of those, but, you know, now they're like dirt cheap because the game's discontinued. So, yeah. You know, but they're really cool, and they're making action figures of them now at Disney Store. Yeah. They're taking those designs and making action figures. True, true. Yeah. So, Rob Kelly writes in, out of context, Supermates, Cindy, is it 10 inches? Chris, I think it's 12 inches. <laughs> As Steve Trevor would say, it's above average. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Yay me. Anyway. <laughs> there are Barbie conventions, right? Yes, there are. It's a yearly Barbie convention, and it's sponsored by Mattel. There's also different ones around the world and stuff that you can go to. Yep. <laughs> I'm sorry. I embarrassed you. Yes. Um, I wonder if post-movie there won't be Wonder Woman conventions that focus on the merchandising social aspect to the character aimed at people, read women, that probably wouldn't think to set foot at a traditional Comic-Con. Well, maybe. I don't know. We'll have to see. I love that inflatable Wonder Woman toy in the pic. I miss being able to buy goofy stuff like that. I always remember, you know, like I said during the episode, that they had them during our Christmas parade. They'd have that and Superman, Spider-Man. I think they still have. I think I've seen the Spider-Man like on our most recent Christmas parade. We saw some like that at the county fair here. Remember? There yeah, was There was a Justice yeah. League. There was a Justice League, like Justice League animated series, Superman. Mm-hmm. And there was a Spider-Man that was oddly squatty, like he was squatting. Something, yeah. Because they were at the end of that giant slide I went down and gave myself a scar on. Yeah, yeah. It's still there. It's still on my elbow, yeah. That's <laughs> um, Rob goes on to say, This episode was a bit frustrating at times because it felt like every five minutes one of you said a variation on this. The line consisted of Superman, Batman, and Robin, and Wonder Woman, and not Aquaman. Sorry, Rob. <laughs> He's left out. Yeah, well, you know, you can't go anywhere without seeing at least movie Aquaman now. I mean, I, I sent the guys in our... Going face- deep! Going deep! I sent the guys a Facebook <laughs> um, message. I had to take a picture that, you know, Gillette's like sponsoring Justice League. They got like, you know, a campaign yeah. and they had a gift set out at Walmart. that They had different boxes that like featured one of the Justice Leaguers. Uh, more prominently than the other. And there was one with Aquaman, with Momoa's Aquaman. I'm thinking, do you really want this guy pitching grooming uh, items? And then there was one with Superman. And I'm thinking, he either uses heat vision or they use Photoshop Uh for Henry Cavill's mustache. So, you know. (laughs) But but anyway. So Ryan Daly, uh, my uh, Nightcast uh, podcasting partner, wrote in, which one is the big boobies Wonder Woman? No, I'm serious. Which one is the big boobies Wonder Woman? <laughs> it, and I showed him which one it was, but yeah. not as big as the boobs on the DC Direct 13-inch figures with the silicone oh, yeah. boobs. Like we never got the Wonder Woman because she was ugly. Oh, they, yeah. They went when they first came out. That line was really good, but they and they, you know, it was around that time that Hot Toys really upped their game with realistic. Mm-hmm. 
skin tones and skin textures. Mm -hmm. And DC Direct midline switched gears. And their women, they especially their female figures, they tried to switch over to that. And they look like, one, the skin tones and stuff don't look no. good. And they look like bored. They look like bored actresses or models that were, you know, paid to show up in superhero costumes and give out pamphlets at a mm -hmm. comic shop. That's what they look like. They don't look like cosplayers that are into it. No. They look like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. I need money, you know, mm -hmm. for the weekend. Oh, my God. Like some college girl that has no interest in comics dressed up as Wonder Woman. They're horrible. But anyway. But they've got huge, like... Like, I got the Catwoman and the Power Girl, and the you, you, those two you can see. They got, like, squishy boobs. Yeah. It's really kind of disturbing. So, anyway. <laughs> Brian Linton writes in, Thank you both for another fun episode and an unexpected trip down memory lane. Seeing Cindy Super Junior's Wonder Woman figure reminded me that the, of the first sleeping bag I ever owned was a Super Junior sleeping bag. We have that. It had a light blue background and featured Little Wonder Woman, Superman, Batman, and Robin. I would have gotten it sometime in the late 70s or early 80s. Man, that was a sweet sleeping bag. But even as a kid, I remember wishing that it had included Aquaman. We have that? Yeah. We have a Super Junior sleeping bag? Yeah. I don't remember that. It's in there. Is it? Mm -hmm. Well, see, I told him we didn't. Yeah. I, I got so much stuff I don't even know. We've got so much I don't even know what I got anymore. It's bad. Now, my first sleeping bag, and I do still have that, and the kids have used it, is it's a thick, it's a big, heavy, thick sleeping bag, is a Batman and Robin one. It's got the Carmine Infantino, Murphy Anderson, Batman swinging on a rope, uh -huh. and then Robin by them running below him, and then the city in the background. I love that thing. It's awesome. And it's it survived for 40 years. It's awesome. Uh, the Irredeemable Shag wrote in, This episode was so much fun. You could hear the enthusiasm and joy bubbling out of Cindy. I had no idea there were that many Wonder Woman collectible dolls. Wow. While I don't know much about dolls and figures, it was fascinating hearing all the ins and outs of these cherished toys. Love the episode. Well, thank you, Shag. That was very nice. Mm -hmm. And quite redeemable, actually. Mm -hmm. Edwin Latour writes in, Hearing you talk about the Super Juniors made me want to see if you guys had ever heard of the webcomic Justice League 8 starring the elementary school age Justice League. It's adorable beyond words. Oh, yeah. We've we've read that many times. I haven't, I haven't checked in on it in a long time but because mm -mm. Andrew liked that, too. And that, and that was kind of, you know, it was, I kind of felt like when they did the, uh, when they did, what's the books, uh, book series that they got going? Uh, Dustin Nijin does the covers. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's the Fortress of Solitude and the Study Hall. And the Study Hall of Justice. The and, Study Hall of Justice. And the Treehouse of, of Solitude, Solitude or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. It, and uh, the third one comes out. There's a third one comes out um, later this month. I'm not saying they took that guy's idea, but it's a similar vein. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I kind of felt like that that was kind of in that same. But those, the JL8 are really, it, those, those are really cute. They're a lot of fun. Uh, Wampa writes in, is this the Diana Prince box you were discussing? And he sends a picture of the uh, the Super Queens slash comic heroines ideal oh, box. Yeah. And yes, it does show Diana Prince in her nurse's outfit. Mm -hmm. uh, but what normally comes with that doll, they just come with a generic halter dress for their mm -hmm. secret identities. Except there is a... Legend has it that there is that version that actually comes with There is that version. I've seen it. I know you've seen it. I'm just saying it's but it you know, it's like very Very limited. Very rare, apparently. So yeah. 
Sean Strawbridge emailed in. I just listened to episode 71 this morning at work, and as usual, it was another excellent installment of Superman. Thank you. I'm amazed by the scope of Cindy's Wonder Woman collection. Thank you again. I have to say, between the Supermates episodes focusing on toys and Chris's new series focusing on items from his toy collection, I'm learning about some pieces that I either skimmed over when I was younger or never even knew existed. Outside of comics and movies, collecting toys and statues is my other geeky passion, and these episodes are a real treat for me. Please keep doing more of them in the future. Certainly planning on it. Yes, certainly, and I've actually, you know... Uh, managed to put out like two episodes of those wonderful toys last month. So, yeah. Because, well, really Rob did all the heavy lifting with the mash when I was just... Oh, yeah. I was just, you know... You were eye candy. Yeah. Your ear candy. I was just... <laughs> I was just hosting that one. I yeah, didn't, you, you were know, ear candy. That was ear candy. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Oh, and, and of course, we're not... You know, we're not... I don't know if I mentioned that on the... You know, we're, we're getting snippets from each comment. You know, we're not reading the whole uh, email because we'd be here till... till next Till next yeah. J.O. May if we did. But... Uh, again, most of these, now Sean's is an email, but most of these, the back and forth and stuff is in firewaterpodcast.com. Uh, so moving on to episode 72, which was our Spider-Man Homecoming Franklin family review. Uh-huh. Uh, Rob writes in, fun episode, guys. I was going to say I didn't like the movie as much as Andrew did, but I don't think Tom Holland liked the movie as much as Andrew <laughs> did. Since I have long since moved into the curmudgeon era of my life, it was nice to hear a younger, more exuberant take on a movie like this. I'm sure I talked like this about 1978 Superman, and people Andrew's age deserve that kind of experience too. I definitely think this is the best, truest interpretation of Spider-Man on film we've gotten so far. I still have some issues with the movie overall, but the good stuff, which you pretty much all hit on, was so much fun that I'm definitely up for more. Favorite line of the movie? He's a war criminal now, I think. Yeah, the gym teacher talking <laughs> yeah. about Cap. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't think, yeah, Andrew, well, obviously Andrew was even enthusiastic about the movie before it even come out, hence his outfit from Heroes Con, but yeah. it lived up to the hype for him, so I'm glad. Yeah. Yes. Chuck Coletta writes in, great episode, Franklin's. I found this one the best of all the Spidey movies and think Holland nails the character just right. We agree. Mm-hmm. I have to admit the best part of the episode was listening to the Franklin family's obvious appreciation of the movie and each other. I can only imagine if my family had ventured such a podcast years ago that it would have ended up with somebody in tears and storming off. <laughs> well, we have we have our moments of dysfunction. Don't, oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> so, days, weeks, Days, months. weeks, months. You know, not old enough to be decades, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. Years. We're going through the teenage years, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Ted Kilvington writes in, First, as always, it's always a pleasure to listen to the Franklin family, and this episode was no exception. The movie, on the other hand, was okay for a Spider-Boy film, but there were some big plot holes, mostly involving Tony Stark, and I thought it was not at all a faithful adaptation. But once again, placing Peter Parker in high school, when we've already had two films in the last 15 years showing him graduate, it seems the studio is really trying to beat a dead horse. The character graduated in the comics just three years after he debuted, and we've since had over 50 years of post-high school stories, but for some reason they keep stunning his cinematic development. This version of the character is more likely to be a paperboy for the Daily Bugle than a photojournalist. Having to support his frail Aunt May was another key aspect of the character, which has been totally dropped. And to me, having him be an Iron Man protege instead of a loner is another huge departure from the comics. Well, yeah, and you know, honestly... I mean, I can see everything that that Ted said, and that, you know he's totally entitled to his opinion. And 
you know, you can't really argue with a lot of what he said. But I don't know. It just feels like the tone feels right. And I think that there's there's something there's something so magical about the Lee Ditko, Lee Ramita era of Spider-Man that everybody wants to go back to that. That's the version. It's like, not that there haven't been other good Spider-Man mm-hmm. comics, but for the longest time, it was just creators trying to perpetuate that same feeling. And so a lot of them feel like, I think a lot of creators feel like it's better to just actually, when you're in a movie, you can actually go, you can start there. And so that's why they do. That's why they try to stay in that that era of Spider-Man. And, you know, the rumor mill is going around again that, you know, Disney might end up with Fox's, you know, entertainment rights, which would mean they would get Mar- the Fantastic Four and the X-Men at Marvel Studios. If they do, I almost guarantee you they're going to do a Lee Kirby Fantastic Four somehow. And sign me up. That's what, you know, that's what everybody wants. But, I mean, that again, everybody tries to go back to Lee Kirby because uh-huh. there was other good Fantastic Four eras, especially like John Byrne and stuff. But that's what everybody, you know, that's, it was never top. So everybody goes back to it, you know. So I think that's that's a good chunk of it. Okay. Siskoid writes in, I respectfully disagree, Ted. The dead horse would have been reprising the same old notes from the McGuire Garfield Spider-Man. We needed a new interpretation going forward with a third franchise. And I'm all for the remix. I don't need an adaptation to be faithful to plot and character details so long as it is faithful to the spirit of the characters and property. Was this about taking on responsibilities that seem overwhelming? Yes. Was this about driving through the wall of bad Parker luck? Yes. That's Spider-Man. I entirely appreciate the fans' point of view of seeing certain elements as sacred, though. Maybe it's the Whovian in me that is so readily able to accept regenerations of iconic characters. Loved the family enthusiasm, especially getting the perspective of someone the same age as this Spider-Man. And I loved it, too. Very appropriate for a Spidey movie. It was all about consequences. Everyone in the movie pays the piper, having to deal with the results of their actions. And, 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 I loved that this was never about winning fights. Spidey doesn't win any. And it was about saving people, even saving the bad guys. And that's truer to comics of a certain error than most superhero films that seem to be a lot more lethal in the name of realism and disposability's closure than serialized comic stories. Yeah, you know, and I mean, even you can go, you know, a lot of people have trouble with the fact that, you know, Peter pretty much let the burglar die in the first movie. Some people think he kind of pushed him, you know, and it's according, I mean, I haven't watched it in a long time, but, and just the fact that, you know, he does go back in to save the vulture and everything. I mean, that, uh, yeah, I, I, I understand where Ted's coming from, but I obviously from our episode, I, I agree more with what Cisco say, yeah. says saying here, but you know, Ted, like I said, you totally entitled your opinion and you back it up. Well, and I can totally, yeah. I can totally see where you're coming from there. Uh, Brian Linton wrote in, it's always a treat to hear the entire Franklin clan. Brian Linton wrote in, it's always a treat to hear the entire Franklin clan podcasting together. I have to admit that I came into this one with mixed feelings. I was really excited for this film after Spidey's debut in Civil War, but that excitement waned after the trailer came out, which gave most, though thankfully not all, of the story away. In the end, I came out of the theater thinking that this was simply a fun movie. There was enough humor that the trials of Peter Parker did not drown me in angst, and even the villains had their own comedic beats. 
Finally, I have to give two thumbs up for the ending. Compassion trumps physical prowess and intellect every day of the week in my book. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I, I do think the trailers almost went too far in, with this movie. And we talked about that when we did the trailer, our trailer episode. So, yeah, we, we almost had trailer fatigue with this one before the movie ever come out. Mm-hmm. Bradley Knoll writes in, Great episode. Am I the only person who read the old Damage Control comic? No one seems to realize that that was a reference. I actually think this fun little film, with perhaps my favorite version of Peter's Spider-Man, is a bad adaptation of the comics. The lead character is 100% from the comics, but other than names, nothing else is. It's still my favorite Spider-Man film to date, though. Well, see, you know, that's interesting. I mean, he's he's kind of he's kind of taking, like, you know... Uh, he's saying what Ted said, but saying, I liked it, like Siskoid said. <laughs> so yeah. it's kinda, that's kind of interesting. You know, in, in Damage Control, I mean, I actually had that, I bought the first, I don't know if there was more than one Damage Control miniseries, but I bought it, and when it came out in like late 80s, I think it was the late 80s, early 90s, but for some reason I didn't think about them being like actually those characters. I thought about it just, you know, Damage Control seems like, you know, just something that they would have. So, yeah, but good, good catch. I just, I just didn't think about it. There's so much stuff packed in these Marvel movies. It's so easy to bypass stuff, and even, even stuff you know that, that, that it just doesn't pop in your head. You know, uh, Sean Strawbridge wrote in again. First off, let me heap some praise on you for using the classic Spider-Man theme as performed by the legendary Ramones. They were one of my favorite bands growing up, along with the Misfits. This is a great and often forgotten version of the classic 60s Spidey theme. You guys scored big points with me there. I saw that Sean was dressed up as the Misfits, uh, the skeletal ghoul guy uh, for Halloween. That's his mm. avatar right now. So, And it looked cool. It looked really cool. And that, that's from an old uh, movie serial where they got that from. And I can't think of it off the top of my head. But anyway. Uh, I saw the movie on opening weekend. My initial plan to see Homecoming on opening night was thwarted by both my wife and I catching a summer cold that week. Know that feeling. And I agree on most, if not all, points that you all brought up during the episode. Michael Keaton brought his usual intensity and nuance to the vulture, and the twist of him being Liz's father in the film totally caught me by surprise. Ooh, I hope we're not spoiling this for people that haven't seen it yet. Ooh, I didn't see that coming. I thought Tom Holland was great as Peter Spidey and brought an author... Brought an authenticity to the role that we really haven't seen before. I really thought that this movie captured what it was like to be a teenager in the modern day. And it was nice to hear Andrew chime in on this and agree since he's actually, you know, a real teenager. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's real. Not 100%, but about 95%. Eh. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot to like in this movie that seemed to be missing from the other Spider-Man film treatments. And I'm excited to see what Marvel Sony does with the character moving forward. I hope that they keep him as a high school student for a while, though. I feel like the other films rushed past that point in his career, and that probably had to do with the ages of the other actors that they had cast in the role. I also have to note how likable the supporting players in Homecoming were. Marvel really brought a well-rounded cast together for this one, and I felt that they crafted a well-honed story with a believable villain and more fun in one movie than we've had since Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2. And Spider-Man 2 is still the high-water mark. Besides Homecoming for me, you know, and and I like aspects of the amazing Spider-Man, but, you know, the first one especially, but yeah, Spider-Man 2 and Homecoming are right there. Okay, so now we're heading into episode 73, Starman Chronicles number 7. Rob Kelly writes in, I'm so behind on Starman! 
sentence. He said it just like that too. <laughs> well, he did. He said it's classic. So, <laughs> Paul Hicks writes in, "Good episode, Crindy." Let's <laughs> see. <laughs> we've we've been benefited. Mm. Uh, these are my favorite of your shows, hands down. James Robinson spoke often of doing a follow-up painted miniseries with Tony Harris for Starman. The poster demon story was the impetus for this, with an untold story of Jack escorting a time-displaced old man back to modern-day Japan. I do hope that they get the chance to tell one last Jack Knight story. Keep them coming. Yeah, I know that that was the image that we see of Jack fighting the samurai. And uh, which is never in the book, and yeah, eventually they were supposed to get around to it. I wonder. It'd be nice if they did. I mean, you know, we're, uh, you know, we're coming up on the twenty. It won't be the twenty fifth anniversary of Starman for too long. Yeah. So uh, that may that may be a good time to do it. Siskoid writes in. Thanks for the trip through Starman memory lane as usual. I thought, hey, you must be getting close to the point where I had to leave comics and where I'll have to catch up before the next episode. Then I checked. I've got the series up through issue 50. It's a talky series, but a lot happens, which might explain my impression. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 Starman is, it's difficult to synopsize. Mm-hmm. I find it, you know, because it's like, okay, all I'm doing is synopsizing what people are saying. But if you don't, especially when we're covering the whole thing, what the dialogue that they have is often like a clue to a coming storyline or it comes up again. Mm-hmm. So it's important to, to put that in for the narrative of, uh, you know, of the series. So we got an email from Jose A. Rivera. Recently, I came across your podcast and saw you did episodes on Starman. I can't tell you how excited I was to see someone covering my favorite series. It was a genuine shock, but once I found out about it, I devoured all the episodes. I'm a huge Starman fan. And if you'll indulge me, I'd like to tell you why this series is so important to me. Indulge away. Growing up, Starman for me was Will Payton. He showed up in the Superman comics I had, and he was in the Who's Who Binder Edition, coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. That's me saying that. That was given to me as a gift. I hadn't heard much about the Robinson Starman series except for an entry in Previews Magazine where I made the mistake of thinking it was a Vertigo title. I can see that. It looked like a Vertigo title. Nope, it was Payton for me. And when I got back into comics in 1987 and saw my comic shop had a 50-cent bin, I went through that thing and picked up the finale to the Eclipso, The Darkness Within Many, where I found out Peyton died. I was shocked. I leave comics for a while and Starman is dead. At least he died a hero's death. Fast forward a couple of years when I'm in high school and at my local library during my lunch break. I see they have trades available and one of them is Starman, A Wicked Inclination. I wonder if this related to Peyton Starman and I checked it out. After reading Roger Avery's introduction, I could see this was a different book. I read the Shades Journal entry in the front and was confused but interested by the concept. It was until I read Sand and Stars that this series as a whole clicked for me. And I can point to the moment where it clicked, when Jack met Diane Belmont. His reverence for his favorite author mixed with his inability to speak made me laugh. Yeah, it did us too. From that moment on, I was hooked. I finished the trade and started hunting for the rest of the series. I got some trades for my birthday and Christmas, and I started picking up the single issues when they got the Throne World to look for Peyton. I might have read it out of order, but I was there from the beginning to the end. The series got to me in a way very few comic series or books ever did. I saw a lot of myself in Jack, and both my knack for things from the past and the desire to go my own way rather than follow in my family's footsteps. But what got me most was the writing. Everyone knows comics have writers, but Starman was the first series where I noticed not the writer, but the writing. 
Now, where am I going with this? It's simple. Starman helped me to realize I wanted to be a writer. I've been dabbling with that idea for a long time, but this was a series that showed me good writing can come from anywhere. How Robinson was able to tackle characterization, weave plot threads that seemed insignificant at the time, but would pay off in a big ways down the line and still hold on to the idea of family and legacy made me want to try my hand at writing. When someone who isn't into comics asks me what they should try, I emphatically tell them Starman. It's a series that holds a special place in my heart, and I'm glad to say I've not only continued in my writing to where I've self-published, but also gotten to meet and shake hands with James Robinson and Tony Harris. Both are class acts. Thank you for letting me tell my love of this series, and thank you for the podcast. It's amazing to hear two awesome people talk about a series I love. I've read the ser- stories countless times, but hearing you both discuss and analyze them lets me enjoy them on a whole new level. I cannot tell you enough how much I'm enjoying stumbling onto the podcast. Keep up the amazing work. Well, thank you, Jose. That was really, I really appreciate that. And I saw where he, before he wrote me this, he's like, on Facebook, he's like, I think he responded to, I think Shag had shared the post. Mm -hmm. He's like, there's a Starman podcast, (laughs) like in all caps. So there you go. So there you go. So, and there's more Starman on the way. I'll just, of course there is, but probably sooner than later. That's just, just, uh, just, uh, just a hint there. Uh, so now we're going to move on to episode 74, which is our first part of House of Frankenstein on the Creature from the Black Lagoon and the Fantastic Four issue. Rob Kelly writes in, Oh my God, it's a network crossover. It's Crisis on Earth, Fire and Water. That's in reference to the PJ Frightful. I know. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and he wrote it all in caps, so hence my, you know. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up the Orson Welles connection. Good Lord, what is the that? The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh, okay. <laughs> you can leave that in, it's good. You had an awful acronym there. <laughs> CFTBL. Well, that's the every... We all know that that's what that means, but go well, ahead. I didn't. Okay. I'm glad you brought up the Orson Welles connection to Creature from the Black Lagoon. It's still sort of amazing to think the guy who drives the plot in Citizen Kane ended up directing so many monster movies. The creature is such a strange creation. He fits so well along the classic monsters, even though he came along a good 15 years after the others. He's kind of like Wolverine in that way. I didn't know about the Fantastic Four issue that's sort of a team-up good pairing. One final thing, I had the good fortune to meet Rico Browning and Ben Chapman at a MonsterCon where they signed my custom creature movie poster. I'm not a big autograph hound, but that was a big deal for me. If And if you guys have never seen Rob's Universal Monster Art, it's flipping fantastic. That's the one, that's what they should do for the covers of the movies, the DVDs and the Blu-rays. The next time, you know, they did Alex Ross this yeah. year, should be Rob next year. There you That's go. <laughs> uh, so Ted Kevlington wrote in, hey, it's always great when couples share their love for geeky treasures, such as the love you and Cindy have for this film. Unfortunately, my wife watches the trilogy a couple times a year, and I'm like, these again. <laughs> so his wife likes it, and he he doesn't. That's That's interesting. <laughs> Dr. Ange writes in from the Super Supergirl blog, Hooray for the return of House of Frankenstein. I will admit, last year I got a kick out of Chris snarling, The House of Frankenstein returns from beyond the grave. Uh, let me say that for him. See if I remember how I did it. The House of Frankenstein returns from beyond the grave. There you go. I was sort of <laughs> bummed when that wasn't part of the new opening. I love Creature from the Black Lagoon for all the reasons you say. The design is perfect. The whole research versus fame versus respecting Mother Earth angle is great. 
and the brutal way the creature dispatches people is disturbing. That is why I find the sequels so awful. There's none of these things. There is no forgetting the three-note creature intro. Dun-dun-dun! <laughs> I knew you wanted to do that. And, and I got to, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this, and if I did, I apologize, because we recorded the first part of this a few days ago. But I did get to see Creature from the Black Lagoon mm-hmm. in the theater. Mm-hmm. Not in 3D, but I did get to see it in our local theater. Mm-hmm. And it was great. And uh, I think I may have mentioned it in the last house, Frankenstein. But anyway, but it was great to hear the dun dun dun, you know, yeah. in the theater. And and uh, got to see Frankenstein, Creature, and Wolfman. It was awesome. So, uh, Which one didn't we go see? No, I saw, I saw all three of them. Oh. You guys didn't go see Creature with me because you just had watched it. Oh, yeah. You guys had just watched it. I went by myself. I, don't, I think I was still sick. Yeah, you were still sick. And Danny's like, eh, I just watched it. You know, yeah. it's not that, you know, she she just watched it. But she did not like yes. Revenge of the Creature. She got up and walked out when they were mistreating him at the aquarium. Yep. She's like, I'm not watching this. She got up and walked out. Good for her. <laughs> I said, well, he gets revenge later. And she's like, I don't care. I don't watch. <laughs> and we never did watch. I didn't say, well, she don't want to watch Creature Walks Among Us. So No, no. Yeah, so, no. We didn't watch that one this year. Brian Linton wrote in, great episode. I have to say that I consider Creature from the Black Lagoon to be a near-perfect example of the classic monster movie. I love the cast of characters with their different personalities and motivations and how those differences affect their relationships as they react to the growing threat of the creature. I'm also blown away by the underwater scenes with the creature. That's beautiful stuff. Yeah, and it really holds up on the big screen, too. That was I was really impressed with that. I was like, man, this, damn, and the suit looks great. I mean, up, even blown up on the giant screen, I'm like, how they make that back in 1954? But anyway, as an aside, I can address the question of whether Rotenone kills or simply stuns fish because I actually have some experience with the use of the chemical from my time working as a research technician and aquatic ecology lab after I finished my undergrad degree. Rotenone is generally lethal to fish. It is easily absorbed through the gills and interferes with the fish's cellular respiration, i.e. the process by which cells create the energy they need to live. Without going into the gory details, which I would need to look up anyway, Rotenone causes fish to swim to the surface in an attempt to gulp down air as they basically suffocate. Not a pleasant way to go. I would guess that the creature survived the Rotenone because its large size may have prevented it from receiving a lethal dose or because movies. Thank you, Brian. That is fantastic. We had science! Yes, yes. And we had talked about that. Did they kill the fish? So all those fish that come to the surface apparently died. Died, yeah. Which makes it even worse because around that time was when you see Kay smoking a cigarette thrown in the water and then the creature looks up at her like, really? Yeah. I mean, the creature's basically Iron Eyes Cody from the old commercials where he's crying, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, (laughs) thank you, Brian. That's science. That's awesome. (laughs) Okay. Ryan Daly writes in, I'm going to try and leave more feedback, but I just want to say, Chris, before I forget that I freaking love all the cover art you've created for the House of Franklinstein episodes. Amazing stuff every year. Well, thanks. That's that's a lot of fun. I mean, it's, it's you know, I don't have a whole lot of time to do each one, um, but uh, I've always enjoyed doing that. And coincidentally, you know, and it has nothing to do with, I mean, it, a lot of people do that type of stuff, but, you know, Derek M. Cook over on Monster Kid Radio He's every week he does, you know, like takes an old poster and like changes the title from whatever the movie is to Monster Kid Radio in that font. And even got a postcard of yeah. the alligator people like that, which was great. Yeah, I got a postcard from Derek, which was awesome. 
Uh, and, and again, thanks, Derek, for promoting the House of Frankenstein so much. Uh, but you know that's just I know I know he has a lot we of. We need to read the back of that postcard because it's about this episode. Yeah, you're right. We should we should get that. Hold on, I'm coming. Here you go. Okay, but yeah, but let me and I'll, then I'll read Derek. You're right. You're right. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's fun to do. You know, it, it's 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 a fun thing to do. And mixing like trying to figure out okay, well, there's a famous monsters cover that I could use. Or do I use the movie poster? And a lot of times it's whatever image is like the okay, that's not big enough from Google to use. Right, right. <laughs> so and you know, but but yeah, it's 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 I have fun with it all the time. Okay, so we did get a postcard. That's a good place to stick it in. We got a postcard from Derek M. Cook of Monster Kid Radio. That is the um, the poster art for the alligator people. And unfortunately I have never seen this movie and it's got my boy Lon Chaney Jr. in it. I know. And so I need to see it. And Beverly Garland is uh, she played Lois's mom on the bulk of Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. Oh. Yeah, she played. Now, uh, uh, Phyllis Coates played her in like one episode from season one. Mm. But from then on, it was Beverly Garland. So I, I just now realized that. I was like, wait a minute, I know who that is. That's Lois's mom because it was on, yeah, a, I remember you it was on a documentary that. about Lon Chaney Jr. She was talking about working with him, how he was, he was a nice guy to, to work with. But uh, Derek... Writes in, the House of Frankenstein has been killing it this year. Every year you raise the bar, and you make this Monster Kids' most wonderful time of the year even more wonderful. Starting the entire run with the best movie, best movie ever, brilliant, Derek. And happy Halloween, he says. So, and that's Derek's favorite movie, so there you go. Okay, we also heard from Ward Hill Terry. I laughed out loud when I heard PJ Frightful. My first time in the House of Frankenstein, and I enjoyed it. I like hearing the behind-the-scenes insights as well as the movie analysts. One thing about the FF story, which I've not read, look at what Kirby drew and be your own Stan. If there had not been any or much plot discussion, Stan had to take those pages and write some dialogue to try to explain them. That was his great skill as a writer and an editor. That's true. At first, I was disappointed that the closing music was not Dave Edmonds' The Creature from the Black Lagoon, but I really liked the song you played. It was obviously not Rob Kelly. Yeah, that's the Batman Wolfman, Frankenstein and Dracula, you know, mm-hmm. that song in it. Because it's basically talking about how he's got to take his woman to see horror movies to get her in the mood. Which he's saying, you know, that's not Rob because of Turn It Off with Tracy. Right. You know, so I thought that was funny. So, uh, yeah, I forgot about the Dave Edmonds song. So, if we do a Creature sequel, we'll have to put that, use that. Yeah. So, yeah. Shag writes in. I'm really far behind on my podcast, but just wanted to tell you how happy I am to see the House of Frankenstein return. It's become a Halloween tradition. I'm not actually a big monster movie guy. I don't actively dislike them, but I don't usually seek them out. However, your coverage is always enjoyable, and the trivia presented is always fascinating. And, of course, the comic coverage is a joy. And Wakula Springs? It's 45 minutes from my house. Wakula. Jeez, dang hillbillies. <laughs> what? He's saying it's Wakula Springs. But they said Wakula Springs in the documentary mm-hmm. on the Creature DVD or Blu-ray. I've got the Blu-ray. So I can't help it. I'm just going by what they pronounced it. Take it up with all the people on the on the documentary. Hillbillies. Really, Shy? <laughs> really? <laughs> anyway. Creature from the Black Lagoon, Airport 77, and Johnny Westmuller's Tarzan. We go down there probably once a year. And that opening with PJ Frightful had me genuinely laughing out loud. 
Can't wait to listen to the rest of the episodes. I may need to shotgun the rest before Halloween. Well, I have to ask Shag if he did. I don't know if he did, but yeah, I told Shag the next time we go down to Florida and if we stop by to see him, we need to go down there to Wakula Springs and check it out and say we were where the creature was. Kula. Wakula. Kula. Hogan, I put you in the Kula. It's Kula. <laughs> General has to be very angry with you, Hogan. I put you in the Kula. <laughs> I grew up watching Hogan's Heroes. I'm sorry. It was my dad's favorite show. Uh, Jose Rivera writes in, Hell yes! The Creature from the Black Lagoon is my favorite. I like this guy. Yeah. He's very enthusiastic. There you go. Thank you, Jose. (laughs) Sean Strawbridge wrote in another email. The Creature from the Black Lagoon, while coming very late in the cycle of Universal Monster films, characterizes why these stories were so great. A smart, emphatic script, good acting, a wonderful, iconic monster design, a classically atmospheric score, and just enough violence to get the blood pumping in an audience. It was always one of my favorites, just beneath The Bride of Frankenstein, which in turn is just below my all-time favorite in the series, The Wolfman. Yeah, brother, preach it. And I even have an original (laughs) movie poster from this film, framed and hanging in my collectibles room. Dang, that's awesome. That I was lucky enough to buy at my very first comic convention in 1992. The factoids that you shared about the making of Creature were fun and fascinating. I refer anyone interested in learning more about Creature to pick up the Legacy DVD set that contains all of the Black Lagoon-related movies, plus a healthy amount of bonus features, as well as the coffee table book, Universal Monsters, which is what we reference all the time. Both are well worth the money and are still available on Amazon, last I checked. The Universal Horror Cycle brings up such fond memories of my childhood for me, catching the films on TV as often as I could, checking out the old Orange Spine Monsters books, Published by Crestwood House, more on them in a second, from our public library, so often that my name was the only one on a little checkout card inside the books for years. Picking up newer and older issues of Famous Monsters of Film Land from my local newsstands and comic shops, and collecting and building the Aurora Monster Model Kits. I guess that's why I would consider myself a monster kid, and the classic films are a large part of why I love Halloween so much. Yeah, I, you know, those Crestwood books, Crestwood House books, I got to admit, I did not know those as mm-hmm. a kid, um, and you brought them home from the library. Yeah, we discarded them. You discarded them. them. Yeah, three or four. Yeah, there's several of them. Um, I, but I'm talking about And from, that's that's you know. around the time that when Andrew was like seven or eight, mm-hmm. that he really got into, me and him got into watching all, we watched all the Universal Monster movies. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and then a few years later, when he got a little bit older, I let him watch some of the early Hammer, the pre-boobies. Hammer movies, you know. Well, you know, I didn't let him watch like, oh, son, well, now we watch The Wolfman, here's The Vampire Lovers. No, I didn't, oh, you know. my gosh, no. <laughs> You know, but, but, but anyway, but, uh, and so me and him, I'd read him those books at night, you mm-hmm. know, or, or, you know, and he'd read them to me and, and they're still in his room, you know, mm-hmm. and so, I mean, it's, um, those are great and so many people, uh, including Derek M. Cook. Uh, and Brian Hyler have fond memories of those mm-hmm. books. Now, there's one book, and I have yet to find it. I had, even me, little weenie me, had a Universal Monster book when I was a kid, and I got it from Scholastic. I got it from the book fair, but I have yet to be able to find it, and I don't know what the title is. I think it was a trivia book, but I, I can't find it, but I'd I mean, love to have it back, you know, mm-hmm. because that's where I misread the word antiques as antiques. Oh, <laughs> cute. And it was about Gwen Conliffe's antique shop right. from the Wolfman. 
So, so it's Universal Monsters Trivia. I think so. Now, I don't know what it's called. Am I, I, but if anybody out there knows, let me know, and so maybe I can do a hunt. So, right. so we're moving on to episode 75, which was House of Frankenstein episode 2, Twins of Evil and the Superman and Robin team up versus vampires. Gene Hendricks writes in, now this is a coincidence. I just had Louise Simonson sign my copy of Man of Steel number 14 this past weekend. Yeah, Jimmy's outfit is really bad, but like Chris said, I think that's part of the point. Is it really more ridiculous than Turtle Boy? <laughs> Nothing's more ridiculous than Turtle Boy. <laughs> well, maybe when Jimmy was uh, uh, porcupine or, well, there's lots of weird Jimmy. Yeah, there's a lot of weird Jimmy Olsen stories, but anyway. Uh, Rob Kelly writes back in. Whew. Woo! Marathon episode, guys. Congrats on 75. Standard protocol is the network springs for a painted cover. Well, it did kind of have a painted cover, though not, you know, it was the old movie poster plus... A cover from of Peter Cushing from the Hammer House of Horror magazine kind of photoshopped together. But anyway, I've never seen Twins of Evil, but with its rampant nudity and violence, I need to change that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I've long wondered, what did old hands like Cushing and Lee think of the Hammer films as they got more um, adult? Did they just cast a check and not worry about it, or did they long for a more refined time? Well, I told Rob this in the comments section. I don't know if it's got anything to do with the nudity or, you know, the violence, but the content in general, all you got to do is look at promotional images from the last of Christopher Lee's Dracula movies. And, I mean, there's a few from, like, Dracula 80, 1972, and the Satanic Rites of Dracula, where he looks just, like, totally pissed off. Like, and he's got his hands on it. It's not like... He's in Dracula mode trying to look fierce. He just looks like, oh, God, hurry up and take the damn picture. I mean, it's just, it just, or hurry up and take the damn picture. You know, that's, you know, it's just, I mean, and he's got like Veronica, not Veronica Carlson, uh, Caroline Monroe and, and Stephanie Beecham and the other two really hot girls from Dracula 80, 1972, just all draped all over him and like their cleavage is hanging on his knee and everything. And it's like, dude. You're not happy about that? What's wrong with you? <laughs> <Yes>. Chris! <laughs> but, so, I think with Christopher, and every, you know, all you gotta do is read, like, any Hammer book, and they'll talk about how he's constantly writing to his fan club, this is absolutely the last Hammer movie I'm doing, I'm not gonna do him anymore, you know, and they would beg him back, and they'd say, oh, well, but if you, well, we promised that you'd be in the movie, and if you don't do it, then... All these people will be out of work and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so he'd do it, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and he never got that in the movie. He was totally professional. He totally played Dracula to the hilt. But, man, in those promo pictures, he was not a happy camper. I think with Peter Cushing, especially after his wife passed away, he was happy to have any work to keep mm -hmm. him busy, you know. So, but, yeah. But, yeah, go watch Twins of Evil. Yeah. Brian Linton writes in, Thank you, Chris and Cindy, for another great installment of the House of Frankenstein franchise. You are officially a franchise now, aren't you? I hope so, because I was planning to get everyone in my family House of Frankenstein bobbleheads and bobble openers. Bo <laughs> and bottle openers for Christmas. <laughs> That'd be funny. <laughs> Bobblehead. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen Twins of Evil before, and I don't think they carry a copy at my local library. So I guess I'll have to wait for it to air on Sven I'm going to start holding my breath now. Congrats on 75 episodes. Again, uh, like I said, I, I, you know, 
I think Twins of Evil is worth, you know, buying. It's it's not that expensive, but there was a nice copy of it out on YouTube. Mm-hmm. If you want to sample it at least and see if you're interested, uh, it's out there. I don't think it's going to be on Spinguli because one, it's not a universal picture, and I think almost everything Spinguli shows was at least distributed through Universal. So he shows the Hammer movies, uh-huh. like Brides of Dracula recently showed. And now they changed the time of it, Yeah, too. they changed it to 8 o'clock, and it's like, I'm busy at 8 o'clock on Saturday. At 10 o'clock, I'm done, usually, yeah. with what I was doing. I'm usually home. At 8 o'clock, I'm running kids up and down the road and things, you know? So, it kind of sucks, but, you know, it is what it is. But, yeah, again, it, it was out there on YouTube. If you wanted to sample it, not saying watch the whole thing, if you do, that's up to you, but you can at least see what it's about. And you can at least hear the Justice League theme, you know, right. <laughs> 40 years early. <laughs> well, I guess 25, 30. Uh, Ryan Daly writes back in, I haven't finished listening to the whole episode yet, but after hearing your discussion about Twins of Evil, I promptly went to YouTube and watched most of it. Fun movie. I especially like the part with the boobies. Of course he did. <laughs> I find that... Those are generally enjoyable in films. <laughs> Do you want to get hit again? <laughs> really? Well, this is a feedback episode, so we got to live and make sure we live things up. So, <laughs> Christopher. Okay. We're... Siskoid wrote in on Facebook, Action Man Jimmy Olsen is the best Jimmy Olsen. He can add Vampire Hunter to his resume. Yes, this is true. Lucien Desar, from also on Facebook, wrote in, one of my favorite Hammer Horror films. Can't wait to listen to this. Well, I hope you listen to it, and I hope you enjoy it. Okay. Now we're moving on to episode 76, House of Frankenstein, House of Dracula, Super Friends. Rob Kelly writes in, another horrible episode. You mentioned if Universal was starting to get influenced by what Val Luton was doing at RKO. Further evidence suggesting this was happening was the presence of Skeleton Nags, who was a sort of Luton stock player. He appeared in Luton's The Ghost Ship, Isle of the Dead, and Bedlam. Luton never really made Nags an out-and-out monster type, but he used the actor's naturally scary looks to great effect. I get why Universal never found a way to work the mummy into these monster rallies, but I was always baffled why the Invisible Man never made an appearance, so to speak. You would think it would have been easy and cheap to work him in there and here and there. Heck, even Abbott and Costello realized how easy it was. I do not and never did like fart humor, but Cindy's uncontrollable giggling had me laughing. That's when you were talking about, uh, I said they um, crop dusted the the formula for the the vampires. Oh. In the Super Friends episode, and you just like broke out. Like, I just left it in. What you oh, just... did you really? Yeah, I did because I I I never got you calmed down enough for me to really read it right. Oh, so sorry. yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> this is what you get when you deal with teenagers all the day. All day. Oh, get yeah, whatever. You never got out of that. <laughs> and I don't mind Cindy's exasperation at the SF moment when where Aquaman had to rescue Wonder Woman. That is a bit silly. Mm. Love the Tom Waits song at the end. Uh, yeah, you know, I I have seen Isle of the Dead, and I've seen Bedlam, uh, and I forgot, I don't know why I didn't remember Skeleton Nags. That was, you know, creepy Steinmill. He killed my brother. Mm. You know, that guy from, you know, you know that dude, you know. Yeah. I, I don't know why I didn't remember him, but then as soon as we did this episode, I watched... And I had seen it before, but I watched that 
documentary TCM always shows about Val Luton mm-hmm. that Martin Scorsese hosts, and I'm like, well, there he is. He's in, you know, he's in Val Luton movies. And Rob wrote that. I was like, ah, crap, you know. But it was too late to put anything in the episode. So, yeah, we dropped the ball on that one. But yeah, so there was definitely some connection there, at least with the actor. Uh, Brian Linton wrote in. Thank you for another thought-provoking episode. It's always a pleasure when Larry Talbot visits the House of Frankenstein. I do hope no one in the Franklin household is allergic to werewolf dander. Yeah. <laughs> Me and Andrew are too furry, so we better not be. It's funny that the Metachlorians came up in the discussion regarding the quote-unquote scientific explanations for the monsters, because that's where my mind went as soon as you got to the part of the synopsis. Unfortunately, my mind didn't stop there, and I began to wonder if the virus in Dracula's blood is a proto- or mutated form of midichlorian. If that were true, then one, Dracula draws his power from the Force, and two, the universal monsters inhabit the Star Wars universe, universe, which would open the door for a Dracula versus Darth Vader comic book miniseries. This also led me to wonder, would a vampire die if you ran it through the heart with a lightsaber? As a final aside, I watched Sci-Fi Saturday Night on MeTV out of Boston, and we get the My Pillow ads every commercial break as well. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Brian, uh, for the My Pillow ads. Uh, truly, uh, Mike Lindell was the scariest thing about House of Frankenstein this year. Oh um, my gosh, Danny! Oh my gosh, she killed my me. patented Phil. Oh my god! But anyway, you, I mean, we need to get her in here and let her do her impersonation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but. The one, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, in Star Wars, I know not classic Star Wars, but if you go by the prequels, Count Dooku was also another Count who was a vampire. So, you know, I'm just saying, you know, there could be some connection there. Uh, And, of course, Peter Cushing was, you know, Grand Moff Tarkin, of course. Um, As far as, and David Prowse was also in Hammer movies. So, just saying. He was a Frankenstein monster in two Mm -hmm. different movies, and he was in Vampire Circus. Uh, but um, as far as a lightsaber, I, I don't. I think they get those. They're that's a kyber crystal or whatever they're called. If they were solar powered, then yeah, I'd say. But I don't think they are. But you know, technically, I would think the Superman's heat vision should just because it's solar powered. Why can't he mm. just like incinerate a vampire? Okay. I don't know either. But anyway, Brian Rosen writes in. Love the Super Friends screen grabs. Think Figures Toy Company will produce a line of vampiric Super Friends. I'll set her for just vamped up Wonder Twins and Gleek. Yeah, you know, I mean, well, just today, Figures Toy Company announced that they're making a Joker's Daughter figure. I mean, who would ever thought they'd made the Joker's Daughter, the Duella Dent Joker's Daughter? Oh, really? Yeah, so anything's possible. And they're making the Universe of Evil figures, so it wouldn't surprise me if they don't make Vampire Superman and the Wonder Twins, Mm -hmm. you know. So, and I'd be tempted to buy them if they did. On Facebook, Clinton Robinson wrote in, Eye beams that cause vampirism makes perfect sense in the Super Friends universe. Yes, yes it does. Uh, Diego Daly wrote on Facebook, I just watched The House of Dracula on Turner Classic Movies yesterday, and I don't recall seeing the Super Friends, but I was kind of drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Sean Strawbridge writes in, It's been quite a few years since I've seen House of Dracula, and while it's been on my list of films to revisit, I have yet to dig out my copy of the DVD and do so. While the monster rally films of the Universal Cycle are fun, they have never been my favorites, in no small part due to the wonky logic that the writers seem to apply to the monsters. Talbot's transformations being caused by unusual pressure on the brain? Come on, man! 
I tend to agree with Rob that this was the equivalent of the Metachlorians being the cause of the force in the Phantom Men Menace. Retcons are rarely a good thing. I was wondering if you guys have seen the non-universal continuation of the Monster Rally films, films that Lon Chaney produced and starred in a few Ron Ch I'm sorry, that Ron Chaney produced and starred in a few years back. He made a movie called House of the Wolfman, and while it's not one of my favorite movies featuring Wolfie, it makes for interesting viewing and is a fascinating film for monster kids to check out. Yeah, I I remember when that came out and I wanted to I was kept hoping that it would I, I guess at that point I didn't really kinda understand like you know, uh, it was like in the early days of like all these fan movies, like full movies getting made and things, and and you know before YouTube was like the YouTube it is today. And I guess I kind of thought it was going to show up eventually, like at Walmart or something, and it just yeah. never did. And I kind of lost track of it. And then I realized, well, of course, nothing like that's going to show up at retail. But there is like there's clips of it out on YouTube, and like the end fight between their Wolfman and their Frankenstein, it's ten times better than Van Helsing. I mean, you know, it's like, it's really, I mean, it's really nice and well done in the monster, the design of the monsters. It updates them without, you know, making them unrecognizable. Mm -hmm. It's really well done. Frankenstein looks like, like a Karloff type Frankenstein, but he's really nasty and decomposed looking. And the Wolfman just looks more savage, a little bit like the, the 2010 Wolfman, but mm. a little more, I don't know, just more, just scary looking I don't, I don't know there's just something about him that looks more you know maybe the effects weren't quite as uh, you know the, the makeup and stuff wasn't quite as refined but it was it was really well done I, I, I liked it I'd like to see the whole thing you know I'd, I'd like to see it okay we're moving on to episode 77 House of Frankenstein episode 4 the abominable Dr. Fives and the Batman issue with the Savage Skull Dr. Ange writes in again I always wonder if Joe Cott never thought, I was in Citizen Kane, The Magnificent Ambersons, Shadow of a Doubt, The Third Man, Gaslight. I've got to ask myself, how did I get here? This is like a talking head song. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Many the days go by. Oh, the water hold me down. Anyway, uh, <laughs> as he talked to Fives in that last scene, I'm a huge Cotton fan, so glad he's part of this nonsense. I also have to say that if I was a trained surgeon... I would feel better about operating and removing a key than I would trying to pick a lock for the first time. Heck, I would feel more comfortable doing the surgery than picking a lock. I always wondered if he was unable to do the surgery, if Cotton would have thrown himself on top of his son, acting as a shield and saving him. But see, now Dr. Ange is a doctor, and he says that he would have tried to get the key out too, so I'm just saying. Well, here's another logic glass. What? The gurney's on rollers. It's on the... It's chained to the wall. How's he going to get it? He's got to take... Remember? Well, he ain't going to roll nowhere, honey. Ain't going to roll very far. He just... If he could roll it up any... All I say... All I'm saying is you owe me a steak dinner and a massage and everything that follows it for making me watch his movie. <laughs> there. <laughs> Okay, Rob Why Kelly. Why are you turning red? Rob Kelly, who also subjected his lady to this movie, and Again. she was not a fan of it either. Exactly. <laughs> and I, I, t I tell him he, uh, he owes her the same. <laughs> well, they're vegetarian, so he owes her something a little bit different. But other than that, nice big mushroom dinner. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, Rob writes in. 
I can't really argue with any of Logic Glass's problems with uh, Dr. Fives, but none of that bothered me as I watched it. I saw it once about 25 years ago. Not sure why it took me so long to see it again. I because really, I really it took you that long to forget it. I really like this movie. It's trying to recreate the no. weird monster horror characters you saw in pre-code movies like Mad Love or Mask of Fu Manchu, but in lurid color. The cops, yes, are completely hopeless, but I took all of that as the comedy aspect to the movie. Fobbs has a Fobbs has a giant mansion in the middle of the country. Just drive there and arrest him. Uh-huh. I know these House of Franklin Stein episodes are a lot of work, and I appreciate the extra effort to make these extra special. I'm sorry to see them go for another year. Well, thanks, Rob. Uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, they, they really are a lot of work, and a lot of that I do to myself. But, uh-huh. but uh, so it's kind of nice to have a feedback episode that I can put together quickly. <laughs> okay. Dr. Ange writes again, Mad Love is a great choice. In fact, the theme of body parts, which rebel, come alive, is a whole subgenre. Starts discussion about movies with body parts coming back. Yeah, yeah, there was a whole discussion about everybody listing, like, Movies that had like you know different like hands that come back life and and you know and you know different and different things you know eyeballs that like took over people and stuff. So I mean it was you know it was it was a nice just list of things that's like oh I've never seen that I saw that and I, you know so I got to remember the I have to go back and reference that next year when I get around or when I'm in the mood to watch some different horror movies. Uh, Jack Bond writes in I think it's a new uh, a new uh, commenter so so welcome. Striking Batman cover. Scrolling down to it, the top half looked like an x-ray or false color scan of Batman that turned his cow pink. I suppose there were still stores in 1983 that would display comics with only the topmost parts of the cover visible. Well, maybe it was the Mad Hatter that turned his mm. cow pink. I first encountered Dr. Fives on TV, turning over from some other late night movie to the channel with the even later night movie and caught the end. Vincent Price entombing himself under a golden sun decoration as Over the Rainbow started up. Just enough to let me know that whatever I had been watching, instead, I'd chosen badly. <laughs> well, not according to Cindy. No. Why did Fibes give the doctor a chance to save his son? Psychological conflict in Fibes himself. Once he picked the plagues as a theme, the penultimate punishment was the death of the firstborn. But the boy was an innocent. Shove responsibility onto the surgeon or chance or God to decide if it was just. The Haunted Palace would be would be a good movie for more. In fact, after Universal and Hammer, the Raven Cycle is a field to explore. Yeah, we could do the Poe movies, which actually Rob did a series of articles over on 13th Dimension about those movies, the, the Price Poe movies, and the comic book adaptations that it, was it Dell or Golden Key. I always get those two confused because at one time they were part of the same company, uh, but that they did in the 60s. So those are out there. Okay. Martin Gray writes in, Excellent show. Well, I'm not at the comics bit yet, but I first want to say that I also saw the two Dr. Fives films as, as a kid and thought they were proper scarefest. I think I was predisposed to seeing Vincent Price's character as a straight monster rather than a camp killer because I saw his photographs years previously in, I think, Dennis Gifford's pictorial history of horror movies and was terrified. If you don't know the book, it's from 1973 and worth seeking out. Gifford was a horror historian and British comics writer who really knew his stuff. I don't think you mentioned it, but Price was also a member of Orson Welles' Mercury Theater. Maybe you were a bit over-picky this time, Cindy? Mm, eh. It was just a daft romp. Please don't hit me. 
Come see me, honey. <laughs> now, don't be hitting on Martin. Martin sends me cool stuff like British Batman annuals. <laughs> well, you know. He hasn't sent me anything, so there. <laughs> he must purchase protection. <laughs> oh, gotcha, gotcha. Like Jeez. the old gangsters. If you didn't want to be hit, <laughs> Jeez. pay up. Damn, this is getting brutal. We're going to have to end this episode before too long. Uh, Shag writes in, listening right now. One of those cops sounds a lot like David Tennant. Adam Z. <laughs> He's a Doctor Who fan. He thinks every British guy sounds like David Tennant. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Um, Brian Linton writes in, wow, Doctor Fives sounds like a bizarre little film. I'm not quite sure what to make of it. I generally enjoy British humor, but this one might be a little too macabre for me. I guess I'll have to check it out for myself when I have the chance. Oh, honey, no, no. Thank you both for another spectacular season of the House of Frankenstein. You're welcome. Diablo Frank wrote on Twitter, Fives isn't in my top five Vincent Price, my favorite old school horror actor, but still fun and highly influential. Dark Man, Saul. Yeah, that's true. So, that's so. CC Frank liked it, so there. Jeff Owens wrote in from ClassicHorrors.club and the Classic Horrors Club podcast that he hosts with Rich Chamberlain. He writes, Hello, Chris and Cindy. I have to tell you again how much I enjoy the House of Frankenstein every year, and it keeps getting better and better. This year, you covered two of my favorite movies. Twins of Evil is currently my favorite Hammer and Peter Cushing film, although they change depending on the weather and my mood. And the abominable, say that three times fast, Dr. Fives is currently my favorite Vincent Price film. I was a little disappointed in Cindy's reception of Dr. Fives. We all, have bad, we all have bad days, and I think if she would revisit it with the appropriate expectations, she'd reconsider her opinion. I really don't recommend the sequel, though. Dr. Fives Rises Again is one of, the least favorite, is one of my least favorite sequels and movies, and that is something that never changes for me. Thanks again for these great podcasts, and I hope you and your family enjoy the quote-unquote lesser holidays following Halloween. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I just, no. Well, and I, I, and I think part of the I'm problem sorry. is most of the movies is, you know, you and I watch them together, and we see them, like, at least once, if not multiple times, and then we do a pod, we, then we do a House of Frankenstein on them. Mm-hmm. You know, like with, with Twins of Evil, we saw it once last year, and you mm-hmm. liked it. With Dr. Fives, you had not really watched it before. I don't think you watched it all. You like you said, you just watched the thing that Doctor Gangrene had on it, and you said, "Oh, well, that sounds good," and so that's why we did it. But so you know, I th- I think that was part of the you know you were basically watching it for the first time, and you weren't used to it being so strange. Uh. So, but uh, but yeah, Jeff and Rich do the uh, the Classic Horrors Club podcast. I talked about it on the House of Frankenstein episodes. Uh, check it out. They do an episode a month. It's fantastic stuff. And uh, between that and Monster Kid Radio, you can't go wrong until House of Frankenstein comes back next year. <laughs> Listen to them all. Uh, now, we did get a few flashback feedbacks from uh, Edo Boznar, who writes into the network quite a bit. And these are on old episodes. Now, I get an email that tells me that they're there. And I just, you know, I just, you know, you know if, if you write in, you know, and let us know that you left a comment. Somehow, or, you know, you listen to old episodes, because I know, you know, I go through and listen to old episodes of shows, uh, you know, we'll read it. So, let's read one here. So, Edo wrote in on episode 10, which was a Spider-Man TV pilot with Andy Leyland uh, as a guest host. 
Don't know if anyone is going to read this, but I felt the need to leave a comment as I had the time this weekend to listen to some of your back issues dealing with topics familiar to me. Spider-Man show came at what should have been the perfect time for me. I was about nine years old when it premiered, and I was a big Spider-Man fan. However, it was quite an aching disappointment for me. As you noted in the show, okay. it bore little similarity to the comics. Andrew makes a good point that it was like any police procedural show of the 70s with some superheroics tacked on. I also agree with Cindy's point about Hammond. The guy just isn't really leading man material. And yes, back then I also wondered where his immense head of hair went when he put the mask on. Even so, I dutifully watched every single episode because, well, that was all we had back then. Now, though, when I watch episodes, a bunch of them used to be posted on YouTube. Not sure if that's true anymore. I still get a little pleasant rush of nostalgia. The scenes, editing style, bland acting, background music, everything just reminds me of those childhood days back in the 70s. Anyway, I had fun listening to your discussion with a delay of many years. <laughs> Okay, then Edo wrote in about episode 29, the Kathy Lee Crosby Wonder Woman pilot movie with Gene Hendricks. Okay, I now realize that posting comments on shows that you put to bed years ago will fill your inbox with email alerts, but man, I couldn't help it. I also listened to this one over the weekend because after hearing about it for years, I finally watched this movie the first time some time ago last year. I can't say I disagree with anything you guys said in the show. It's pretty bad. And yep, just like the Spider-Man show was sort of a standard 70s police drama with a costume dude making occasional appearance, this one was like a standard 70s espionage action show or movie with a costume woman occasionally running around through its scene. One thing I recall bothering me about Kathy Lee Crosby in particular is that she also often has this sort of patronizing smile smirk on her face. And I definitely agree that the actors playing the renegade Amazon would have actually worked better as Wonder Woman. Also, it bears repeating that Maltabon, dressed in his white Mr. Rourke suit, tux, looks so hilariously ridiculous in that pint-sized rubber raft. A few tweaks in this entire movie could have been turned into pretty good, solid satire. Now, true that. Okay, and then Edo writes in on episode 8, which was our Alan Brennert Batman episode with Rob Kelly, Rob's first guest spot on the show. Another weekend with a little extra time to catch up on some old podcasts. I came across this one when I was poking through your episode archives a few weeks ago, but only listened to it now because I wanted to read through my Alan Brennert Batman book, which is a great hardcover book, by the way. First and foremost, I have to say I share everyone's fondness for Brennert's writing. Second, the autobiography of Bruce Wayne is probably my favorite Batman story ever. It's one of the reasons I think eventually Bruce and Selina always have to end up together, regardless of whether it's Earth 1, 2, wherever else in the multiverse. And as we can see right now in the comic books, it looks like it's heading that way. And I totally agree with the sentiment about Brennert's stories that seem to run through much of your conversation, i.e. that they're emotionally mature and so forth. In fact, the key phrase is when Rob said there's, there's a way to write a story for adults that doesn't feature anything objectionable to children. I said something similar in the comments to review of this issue at the late and much lamented Bronze Age Babies blog, to wit, Brennert basically shows how to write a mature story that's still all ages. Brennert was very quietly showing both comic writers and comic fandom how it is possible to write truly mature superhero stories, wherein maturity is defined not by explicit, often objectionable content, but rather by adult concerns and emotional depth presented in a way anybody can understand and relate to. Totally agree. 
And then Edo wrote in again about the episode 67, the Lego Batman movie with Danny. Hey, Chris, Cindy, and Danny. Finally got around to seeing the Batman Lego movie a few days ago, so I thought I'd give your show about it a listen as well. Like pretty much everyone else here, I'm in Danny's awesome camp on this one. In fact, I'd rank this right up there with the only two other Batman movies I like. The first one from the 1960s and the first Burton one. Anyway, just wanted to say I enjoyed the show. You'll have to work out that contract stuff with Danny's agents and lawyers so she can appear on more than just your movie shows. Well, thanks, Edo. I'm glad you... Uh, we'll, we'll try to see if we can get Danny back on. I can't make any promises. You yeah, know, you but, know. You know. Uh, so his last uh, retro uh, feedback bit was uh, uh, episode number 50, the JLA The Nail episode where Rob and Ryan guested on it. Finally found some time today while running errands and doing some handyman stuff around the house to listen to this monster episode. I love the work of Alan Davis. I love the Elseworlds line, so I love both the nails, and I was interested to hear what you two and your esteemed guests thought about it, and I wasn't disappointed. It was a great conversation and a fun episode to listen to, except for their, the apparent distance of Ragman. Anyway, I agree with others that it's too bad Cindy was apparently tired that day. I would have enjoyed some more of her thoughts outside of the admittedly penetrating psychoanalysis near the end. And I agree that there's this really interesting contrast between the bright art and the often dark turns the story took. It reminds me of another Elseworlds story, possibly my favorite, Generations by John Byrne. He draws it in his typically happy superhero style, yet there are many dark parts in that story. In conclusion, I just have to say that if your 100th episode rolls around and it does not cover another nail, well, I'll be sorely disappointed. Hmm, well, we'll have to see about that. That's a good idea. And I think it's one we floated back then. Uh, yeah, Generations, that's a great series. That's one of Andrew's favorites. Mm -hmm. In fact, I just gave him my copies of it because yeah. he just kept saying, can I borrow Can I read those again, Dad? And I'm just like, just keep them. Yeah. And we got him. We, I had never got the third series. And we got that for him for Christmas. They've never oh, traded. No, no. Okay. Yeah, we did get it for Christmas. That's right. We, we got it as issues. We got the individual issues off. It was all together, but off eBay because I didn't have them. Mm. I didn't buy that one. So. But yeah, those are the, especially the first two mm -hmm. are great. I haven't read all the third one, but yeah, it's fantastic. So, so that'll do it for feedback. Um, we did get uh, Twitter likes and retweets and Facebook likes and shares. So we're going to read through those. Uh, thanks to everyone for uh, you know liking, sharing, promoting the show, promoting the Fire and Water Podcast Network. So we want to acknowledge everybody. If I missed anybody in the feedback in this episode i apologize i really tried hard to grab everything to, if you left a comment of any kind if i didn't grab every comment i tried to at least i think everybody was pretty well represented um so i will do the twitter and then you can do the facebook if you want okay we got uh, twitter likes and retweets from rad adventures that's darren and ruth sutherland chris at bto and bat books shannon stammy nina zoic xenophiles max romero Rolled Spine Podcast, uh, which is Diablo Frank's network. DGC Studios, Justice's First Dawn, which is Mike Peacock. Cemetery O, which is Ward Hill Terry. Comic Reflections, Comics in the Golden Age, Ryan Daly. Amsel Vaughn Cantonbury, Coffee and Comics, Ted Kilvington. Dez, Zoom Yukonori from our network. The Irredeemable Shag, Firestorm Fan, also Shag. Between the Pages, Siskoid, Fan Holes Podcast. History of Comics on Film, both of those are Derek. Uh, Crab, our buddy, Dr. G, Nerdologist, David Brejo, Bass Levesque, also on our network, the Fire and Water Network, 
Bots and Turtles, Martin Gray, and Rob Kelly Creative and his Digest cast, Treasury Comics, Film and Water Podcast, Hostess Ads, and Pod Dylan, and Superman Movie Minute, which, you know, I don't know what that is, but anyway. <laughs> Dino Mutt. Oh, we got one from Dino Mutt BF. Shoot. <laughs> I, I like that Supermates podcast. Although I'm starting to sound more like Bullwinkle than Dino Mutt, but mm-hmm. I hit it right the first time. I uh, got one from Stella from Batgirl Oracle. Collected Edition, Caroline Wells, Judy Jarvis, Motu Cast, Pointless Ephemera, James Hudson, Molly Whipple, Paul Hicks, Cabin Minute Podcast, Five Minutes of Mime. That's an interesting podcast, Five Minutes of Mime. How's that a podcast? Anyway, uh, Christopher Hamby, Barnyard Stories, Professor Frenzy, Spinal Tap Minute, goes up to 11. Sean Michael Ortega, I Am Grant Richter, Richard Field, what the F, no, sorry, WTF is Mustafa, uh, Trekker Talk, Darren and Ruth, Wild Dog Podcast, Birds of Prey Podcast, it's Plastic Man, which is Max, 13th Dimension, Toy Lab, David Ace Gutierrez, I have no idea who that guy is, Cash Flag, Even Whittle Cake Rum, Son of Cthulhu, Fahim is All In, Willie Yarbrough, Code Man, Warrior for Peace Pod, John D. Knoll, Nia at Carbo Night, KSCGSF Podcast, Longbox Crusade, Stephen Simmons, Tony Wolf, Peyton Pressgrove, and I Am The Gun. Facebook likes and shares. Derek William Crabb, Clinton Robinson, DeBage, yeah. Sean Brock, Max Romero, Terry O'Malley, Michael Scuderio, Robert Ward, Siskoid, Coffee and Comics, Ryan Daly, Max Traver, Vaughn Z, Joe Foz, John Grinier, James Hussey. Got, got him, Shiorin. David Foster, Rob Kelly, Classic Horrors, Shag Matthews, whoever that is, Zoom Yukonori, Rich Silva, Brian Ng, Brian Rosen, Abel Padilla, Jose Rivera, Leslie Hall Trigg III, Ruth Sutherland, Russell Burbage, yay, Russell, Danny Ulrich, Jared West, Sean Stalbridge, Billy LaCase. Oh, Terrence Castingway. Patrick Delmore. <laughs> if Cindy's got trouble pronouncing, I'm st- <laughs> I might be saying it wrong too. Gene Hendricks, George Kane, Sean Emmons, Jason Mulliken, Brian Cray, Jose Robichaud, Rich Matsumoto, Keith G. Baker, Abadaba, Mike Garvey, Laurel Phillips, Jimmy McGlinchey, Corey Hodgden, Mike Peacock, and, and Ali Amida. I think that's everybody. So if you did leave a retweet or a like or a share or something and I didn't put you on there, I really apologize. I really tried to get them all, but it was, you know, going back and digging. I felt like Indiana Jones digging back through mm-hmm. all those things. So, so thanks, everybody, for all your comments, for supporting the show. It's greatly appreciated. Uh, it was fun to go back and read them all. And, uh, again, I always try to leave comments on firewaterpodcast.com. I try to respond to people. Um but we will try to do better. I will try to do better. It's my fault uh, about having feedback in at least every other episode. So we'll keep up better. Yeah, he says that and it going to happen. Hey, we, We're going to do this about every six months. Just, you know. <laughs> We've go. never been this bad about it. So, okay. So, but, uh, so, you know, as we release this, it's a few weeks away from Thanksgiving here in the U.S. And, of course, it's tradition to end the Thanksgiving episode in the manner that we're going to end we have a message from your captain uh, about safety during Thanksgiving, uh, as always. Uh, 
And uh, and because that's what Danny says, you know, it's yeah, that guy. Danny refers to older Shatner as the deep fried turkey man, uh, <laughs> and she did not realize he was Captain Kirk until the longest time, and then it clicked in her head, and she just could not get over the, you know, young Captain Kirk was old deep fried turkey man. But anyway, uh, you know, same thing with Jeff Goldblum and the you know Grandmaster versus Ichabod Crane. But anyway, uh, so you know, that's and of course. You know, the holiday, Christmas holiday, right around the corner. Uh, and we've never done a year without a christmas theme episode. So chances are December episode will be christmas theme. So come back for it, and we'll see you then. And everybody have a happy Thanksgiving. Bye. Bye. Supermates is a Franklin and Franklin production in association with Bugaloo Enterprises Worldwide. And he is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. The characters and properties mentioned in this show are copyright their respective holders. Likewise, all audio clips are copyright their holders and no infringement is implied. So please don't sue my mommy and daddy. <laughs> Emails can be sent to supermatespodcast at gmail.com. Comments can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook by searching for Supermates and FW Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter by using the hashtag FWPodcast. Please consider leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast. Hi, I'm William Shatner, and I love fried turkey, but turkey and oil are a dangerous combination. So watch this video. I want your comments on it. I want to know how you plan to keep yourself, your family, and me safe from turkey fryer fire. I want a deep fried turkey. I want a moister, tastier turkey. I want a deep fried turkey. I want a moister, tastier turkey. It started as a hunger. I was young and arrogant. I was young and arrogant. Blinded by my hunger, I ignored safety. I want a deep fried turkey. I want a moister, tastier turkey. I want a deep fried turkey. I want a moister, tastier turkey. When I laid my hands on that fryer, I didn't want to let go and go. Back then, everyone was doing it. Everyone was doing it. I once loved this piece of metal. Keep yourself, your family, and me, and me safe from turkey fryer fires. So dangerous, so dangerous. you can't even imagine, imagine. Fried turkey tastes great. It's a great taste. I love fried turkey. But you gotta be safe. Pop, pop, thermometer, thermometer. Dingle dangle, dingle dangle. Pop, thermometer. Where's the dingle dangle? dangle. Oh, Wet frozen turkey. Push together, make steam. Push together, make steam. Pushing the hot oil and igniting on the open flame. I want a deep fried turkey. I want a moister, tastier turkey. I want a deep fried turkey. I want a moister, tastier turkey. Blinded by my hunger, I ignored safety. I ignored safety. Spat in the face of science. Turn off the flame. Turn off the flame. Oh my goodness! What have I done? Your family and me safe from turkey fryer fire. So dangerous, so dangerous, you can't even imagine. I want a deep fried turkey. I want a moister, tastier turkey. I want a deep fried turkey. I want a moister, tastier turkey.
took so much from me, from me, from me, but it gave me a healthy fear, fear, fear. Fire, metal, oil, and turkey are glorious when in harmony, but their power is unrelenting in careless hands.